0: Okay, good morning, uh, everyone. Thank you very much for coming to today's AWA Los Angeles event. Uh, today is uh, the holiday, the Juneteenth. Uh, r- very happy uh, uh, holiday. So we'll uh, have a great celebration today with great talks and the great panelists, a great discussion. So this is our agenda for today. So we have five, five minutes for AIAA introduction uh, then five minutes from uh, Mr. Shelby Jacobs for the, e- introducing the special message from Representative Levin. Then Mr. Harvey Hawks is going to give a great talk uh, for the Tusky Airmen. And the, that part is not going to be recorded, but the rest part will. And, uh, okay, I just will be worse chatting with Harvey, Mr. Hawks, saying this uh, Tusky Airman has great uh, influence on the uh, uh, society and uh, even the media, sci-fi. And this is Battle Battlestarctica uh, in 1978 and 1980. So you can see a lot of uh, African-American pilots and he- heroes in this uh, TV, uh, uh tv maker shows you can see colonel tie and also lieutenant boomer is it, very very popular they're they're like a uh, tv heroes and you can see on the lower left uh, they even have you know they also have the uh african-american players uh, uh you know hero uh, in in their uh, council of 12. so it's uh, the i love mm-hmm. this tv show so much it is great sci-fi so that's first thing ARAA headquarters, uh, they kindly provide this wonderful platform of uh, Zoom, uh, so really appreciate it. And uh, right now this session is record- recorded, but not for the presentation uh, by uh, Mr. Hawkes. And uh, if any issue with the audio, please use the phone to dial in as the audio connection. Uh, you will solve the issue of the internet bandwidth. Um, If you have any question, please type in the chat box, sorry, sorry, type Mm -hmm. in the Q&A box, and uh, you can interact with each other through the chat box. Mm -hmm. And uh, just a few words for the local uh, area of Los Angeles and Las Vegas. Uh, You'll know this this area is heavily aerospace populated uh, with many great activity from James Webb Space Telescope Uh, JPL, SpaceX, uh, Virgin Galactic, Aerospace Corporation, and many others. And we have new company setting up like Launcher uh, and uh, Relativity Space, those things. And many great student branches doing good jobs. Uh, We constantly have the event to keep everybody network each other and have fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have newsletter opportunity so, so please share your articles or even photography. Uh, we also have video um, on the YouTube channel and our website. We host also have podcast gallery, <laughs> member spotlight. I have been inc- encouraging uh, people like uh, uh, Dr. Christian, uh, Christiana Tyler uh, and uh, all the great members You know to Uh, beyond our spotlight. And Engage is a great platform. Once you become a member, you can start to chat with people. Uh, Many benefits for the AWA member, the daily launch, great news, insider story, Aerospace America, and you save a lot for attending AWA national conferences. Uh, Student member, If you uh, can stay as a professional, there's a great transition rate. Uh, It's really a great uh, advantage you should take. And many different level of AA members. Right now our section chair is Dr. Jeffrey Bushell from Raytheon. He's a a fellow of AA AA, And uh, a couple of people, for example, Elon Musk, uh, Miss George Whiteside, White uh, they are our associate member. So I'll, I'll go a little, jump a little bit. Uh, great STEM outreach, national conferences. And um, I want to point out this slide because uh, Tracy could not be with us today. She was, was with us last year. She's a little bit right now. Uh, she wants to say hello to everyone. She did, did give a talk on Juno uh, and uh, Europa Clipper, and uh, it was exciting. So I wish she can join us next time. There's a recent picture from Juno on Gali It's related to Tracy's work. So I'll jump a little bit. Oh, this one upper left is our uh, current section. Section Chair, Dr. Jack Puschel. Uh, Some of you might might knew him uh, from work or from previous AIW engagement. Okay. So I move forward. This is just a happy hour two days ago. uh, It was fun. And uh, uh, middle school students show her computer design. And uh, we have attendee uh, sharing the Mars photos. Everybody just have great fun. And we are chatting, what's the first thing we want to do if we, uh, uh, you know, go to Mars. Okay, so let me introduce Mr. Shelby Jacobs. Uh, He will introduce the video from Congressman. So Mr. Shelby Jacobs is a bomber Apollo engineer. He worked with a NASA prime contractor, uh, Rockwell, and uh, is now part of Boeing. Later in the panel session, we'll show a video or two, and uh, he's a, a highly decorated, even honored by the Congress. So it's our great pleasure and honor uh, to welcome Mr. Shelby Jacobs. And after his his introduction for uh, the uh, Congress 11th video, we'll introduce the speaker, Mr. Hawks. So Shelby is is yours. Uh, Mr. Jeff, you need to, yeah, okay.
1: Okay,
2: I'm, I'm happy to be here with you on this first national Juneteenth holiday. I'm a Texas transplant Came here to California as a youngster, but I've always been aware of this holiday. So this is a special meaning to me. In addition to the Tuskegee Airman connection, which I, I have arrived at here in Oceanside by virtue of meeting uh, one of the gentlemen, uh, Alfonso Harris, who uh, at the uh, the induction of Bob Mitchell in terms of naming the the Oceanside uh, Airport, and I'm especially pleased that Congressman. Uh, my Congressman uh, uh, has consented, and in, in view of the fact that he couldn't be here, he consented to present us with a video uh, outlining Oceanside and our connection with Tuskegee Airmen and Bob Maxwell being uh, named on his behalf. So with that, I just uh, want to turn you over to the, to the Congressman, and we, again, we thank him for his uh, support.
3: Hello, I'm Mike Levin, Congressman for North County, San Diego, and South Orange County, and I want to start by acknowledging the incredibly brave service of our groundbreaking military and civil rights heroes, Tuskegee Airmen. These aviators answered the call of duty with such poise and dedication through adversity that they've become immortalized in American history as shining examples of national heroes. In my own district, we're proud to honor the late Bob Maxwell, a Tuskegee Airman and Oceanside resident, Who, in addition to honorably serving his country during a time of segregation and blatant institutional discrimination, fought to save the Oceanside Municipal Airport from closure. In recognition of his valiant life of service for both his country and his local community, the airport has been renamed the Bob Maxwell Memorial Airport. The spirit of perseverance and tenacity that characterized Bob's persona is the same spirit that coursed through the veins of all our brave Tuskegee airmen. Indeed, it's the same spirit that spurred civil rights activists throughout our nation's history to work tirelessly in the pursuit of equality. And so in the month of June, as we celebrate Juneteenth and continue marching on the long road toward equality, we honor the heroes of yesterday and the professionals of today who continue to charge. Our African-American aerospace professionals carry this spirit today. In a demanding profession where the black community is still underrepresented, these leaders, many of whom are with us today, continue to pave the way for the next generation. I'm grateful for your service to our communities. Thanks for allowing me a moment to speak at your event please don't hesitate to reach out if my office can be of service.
4: Great, but for
0: uh, Congressman Eleven and a uh, great thanks to Mr. Shelby Jacobs. We'll hear more from him in a panel session. So our speaker today, Mr. Harvey Hawks, is a historian for the St. Bruce chapter of the Tuskegee Airmen uh, Incorporated. is a docent of the museum pride. He's also the tour guide and educator. He's uh, formerly with Boeing commercial airplane weight and balance analysis on SST, B747, uh, Boeing 767 programs, and formerly with US Army Missile office, also with General Dynamics in Port Mona. His, uh, also work, he also worked on aircraft structural design on DC-10 and dc at Douglas Aircraft Long Beach. Uh, he lives in Bellevue, Washington and is currently a docent, as mentioned. He is also a hist- historian for the St. Bruce chapter of the Tuskegee Airmen uh, Incorporated. He earned his Bachelor science degree in aerospace engineering from Tri-State University, Angola, Indiana, and a professional engineering license from Washington State. He worked in the U.S. Army Missile Project office, General Dynamics, Promona, aircraft structural design on DC-10 and DCA, and Douglas Aircraft, Long Beach. Then he worked on the Boeing commercial airplane as mentioned pre- previously. Uh, he spent 15 years until retirement in 1995 as customer engineer coordinating foreign airline accounts, including British Airway, South China, Air Zimbabwe, and Air 2000. Uh, Harvey has a strong interest in all aspects of aviation. Other hobbies include bowling, golf, sports car, Corvette owner, airplanes, private pilot. That's wonderful trouble and grandparenting, that's really happy. He's active in the community of Christ Church as a lay minister and a teacher. Along with his wife, Ada, he has, he raised three children and has 11 grandchildren. Wow, that's wonderful. So let's welcome Mr. Harvey Hawkes.
1: Hey, thank you very much, Ken. Let me uh, go into my screen sharing. Uh, let's see.
0: No discussion. Uh, so let me show up this. Uh, so we we'll have a group of wonderful uh, distinguished panelists. And uh, our moderator today is Dr. Christiana Taylor. Is the founder and the CEO of Intelligence Space. Uh, he's actually, she's actually our actually my predecessor. She's formerly uh, the Air way Los Angeles that's Section Events Program Chair. Uh, she was doing exactly what I'm doing uh, at that time. Uh, so really appreciate the foundation she paved. I really uh, highly appreciate it. Uh, so. Uh, Unfortunately, we just received the bio for from uh, Mr. Wallace and uh, uh, Mr. Shelby Jacobs, um, but the other gentlemen and the ladies, you know, uh, so they can, uh, Christiana will help uh, introduce or ask them to self-introduce. Uh, so let's welcome Dr. Christiana Taylor. Uh, good morning, everyone. So first of all, thank you so
5: much for having me. Thank you, Mr. Hawkinson wonderful talks, excuse me, but this wonderful presentation I really truly appreciate it, and I'm sure everyone else does as well. Um, before I start, I wanna just take a moment to recognize what day it is. So today's June 19th, um, celebrated as Juneteenth. Um, Congress just en- enacted that Juneteenth will now be a federal holiday, um, but I think that we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't just take a moment to recognize what Juneteenth is and just take a moment of silence for that. Um, So I'm gonna first um, very quickly explain Juneteenth and then I just take take 10 seconds of silence just to respect what that that is. Um, And then I'm gonna go in and have my panelists um, on self-introduce themselves. Um, But first, just again, I wanted to take a moment to say that this um, conversation about the Tuskegee Airmen is extremely important because a lot of people don't learn about this growing up. And because people don't learn about this, they don't learn about Juneteenth, they don't learn about what this history is and do and they don't see themselves represented for that matter is where they can, can show themselves. So first, conversation about Juneteenth. Um, it's a holiday that is celebrated, celebrated to commemorate the emancipation of enslaved people in the US. So slavery actually ended in 1862, but, It wasn't until June 19, 1865, so three three years later, that um, slaves were actually declared declared free in Texas. So people were free for three years and didn't know it. Um, So Juneteenth is a, a holiday that is recognized, well now federally, but my understanding is that it started in Texas as a way to recognize the fact that that was when um, enslaved people in Texas found out that, hey, you are no longer slaves, you have rights. Now, obviously the conversation we just heard, um, segregation, Jim Crow, all the way to modern day racism situations that are going on, everything from the George Floyd's protest, the beyond the Taylor situation from last year. Obviously there's still room to grow and improvements to be had, but um, I just want to take 10 seconds of silence to recognize Juneteenth. Um, and what, is, uh, what it represents, as well as um, before I start this conversation. So, just taking 10
4: seconds to silence right now. Okay.
5: Thank you so much for allowing me to recognize what day we we're speaking about this. Um, first of all, I wanna say thank you so much, Mr. Hawks, for your presentation. I think that it's lovely always to hear a little bit more about the Tuskegee. And then um, just to give the people some more context, on myself, um, my undergrad degree is actually in aircraft. So I did my internships at GE Aircraft. Well, I don't know what it's called now, but it turned into GE Transportation afterwards, and I think in might be G aviation. Basically, I worked with um, plane engines for my my internship during undergrad. So I, it's always interesting to go and look at some of those, um, the historical historical planes that people that um, people flew back in the day. Um, and then my dad was actually a um, an army ranger, and I assure you, you will never not hear my dad talk about being an army ranger. So I have a huge respect for the military as well as um, growing up hearing about. Basically, um, black representation in the military. So I'm very lucky in that perspective because I heard about it. Um, I think there's quite a few points that she brought up during the conversation um, that I definitely want to that I definitely want to um, kind of um, throw to the panelists. Um, and just to give the panelists the idea, I kind of have this in three different um, three different sections. One, the historical significance of kind of the conversation that um, Mr. Hawks um, presented. Uh, to some of the media and representation that one, they inspired. Um, and that conversation is still going on today. Um, most uh, most recently to me, uh, the conversation that happened in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier about a black man becoming Captain America and what that means to carry the stars and stripes. And especially um, how that conflict when you talk about segregation um, after the fact of the, the, word, the, um, the service they provided. Um, And then last but not least, kind of the aircraft and aerospace industry, they're part in this because there's definitely, especially being in LA, there's a huge history of aircraft and aerospace and obviously your panelists are part of that right now um, that provide that. So um, first, let me start with my wonderful panel. Um, Mr. Hawks, we just heard from you. So I'm going to go to Mike Wallace. Um, Just give about 30 seconds of introduction yourself. I'd love to, I think everyone would love to hear a little bit more about you, so
4: please, Mike. Well, first of all, thank you guys for inviting me to, you know, share with any kind of knowledge I can, especially on this day, a very monumental day, as you just mentioned, it commemorates, you know, basically the freedom that it was told late. And I don't want to kind of reiterate what you basically said there, but I got 30 seconds, so I'll talk more later. But the main thing about myself is, you know, um, I currently work for Raytheon, been with Raytheon for three years, but I got over 35 years in the aerospace industry, and I was influenced through the Air Force, because I was an Air Force, um, I'm a veteran, so that actually helped my career, propel my career off. So this was a great segue to talk about the Tuskegee Airmen and where we are today talking about, you know, uh, the plight of African-Americans and, and, uh, and now June uh, 10th, which is the, you celebrate on June 19th. So we'll talk more about me, you can read the bio, but um, that's just a little bit right now. I'll pass it on, thank you very much.
5: sorry to me to give you only 30 seconds you have such <laughs> a interesting history so please don't be good i'm sure we want to hear more so Th-
4: but, there's um, going to be probably more questions i'm sure and i'll be able to answer and talk okay. about it okay <laughs>
5: <laughs> uh, mr uh, mr shelby would you like to um, go next um, i think that i i really enjoyed um, hearing from you on the last panel on but i'd love to give you a moment I, I believe you have some videos as well so i'd like to if you'd like if you'd like, if you'd like to present yourself next i'd really appreciate it
2: Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me?
5: Yes,
2: I can hear you. Perfect. Uh, I, I, I was under I the impression that they were going to show the videos, but... Oh, the, they are in one
5: moment, but if you'd just like to um, introduce yourself. Okay, well, they're, while, while they're, they're, they're doing, they're I just want to
2: express my gratitude for being here on this day. It's very special to me in many ways, my connection with Tuskegee Airmen, being a native from Texas. Um, the Juneteenth has been a part of my life and I'm glad to see it nationalized uh, from localized uh, celebrations throughout my life. I'm glad to see it expand. A lot of states are now nationally. And so I have a, a, a soft spot in my heart for uh, the, the celebration of the day, the Tuskegee the Airmen, the, the, the Airmen and their contributions to paving the way. Go ahead. My name is Shelby Jacobs. I was born April the 27th, 1935 in Dallas, Texas. Migrated to California as an eight-year-old. I was accustomed to the segregation in terms of housing and schooling and everything. As a matter of fact, I had to walk by a white school and a Mexican school and route to the black school. And as I progressed through high school, being an honor student and a four-year athlete and class president, When my principal of the school found out that I had chosen engineering, he said, Shelby, there are no black engineers. I recommend you take a trade. I responded to that by not saying anything to him. It didn't anger me. It was my first moment of what I considered divine intervention. I considered that he was telling me that the odds would be great, and I was willing to accept that challenge. And I wanted to pursue Something that they said couldn't be done in spite of the fact that that may be true, I wanted to prepare myself in case the doors ever opened, and they did. My motivation was continually stimulated by the low expectations of people in general. They did not perceive that we could do things on the same basis, much as they had gone through in athletics and other things. We were kept out of a lot of things, presumed we couldn't do it. And in this arena, I was committed to proving contrary to the, the assumption that we were not capable, we inferior, of doing these things, and that was a constant motivator. Growing up in the areas remote, I was totally unaware of NASA. And when I got involved in pursuing engineering based on academic excellence, I didn't have a clue what NASA was. Even when I started to work for North American, which became Rockwell, I didn't know they were contracted to, to uh, NASA. That evolved afterwards. So I was kind of like a, a career chosen in the dark, truly blind faith. I hadn't a clue that I could be that. In fact, I was told that there were no black engineers, but I pursued it in spite of that. The technology that I was responsible for de- designing was a camera system that was provided, uh, the cameras themselves were provided to us by NASA from prior programs, and I got the assignment to adapt that system to the Apollo, which was the most powerful vehicle we had ever uh, undertaken, to make sure that if the cameras would endure the environment in order to capture the film, that were required to prove that the separation was in fact valid. The results of my work of installing the, these cameras on the, the Saturn, which was the second stage of the Apollo, was the iconic photos that we see of the uh, the interstage separating and tumbling away in the distance, which was visual evidence that, in fact, it did not contact or in any way disturb the vehicle. But what you see is the iconic uh, photograph of the earth's curvature and it kind of led to the resolution to the, the earth is flat versus the earth is round. I, uh, I remember back some time during Cesar Chavez where the, the phrase, si se puede, well I, I was uh, one of those, it can be done long before that be- became a coin phrase. I was practicing that from the 1950s. I'm a strong proponent of equality to the nth degree. Whatever you can do should be permitted to do that. As a female or as anybody else, there should be no distinctions prejudicing your skills or your career path.
5: Well, thank you so much for that great introduction. Um, I think we'll we definitely have some really good questions that will be coming up. Um, next oh, questioner,
0: actually, there's another one. Oh, okay. yeah. Sorry for that. No, no problem. Please, just give me one second. <clears throat> no problem.
5: Mr. Shelby, your presentation has a great comment in there where you're saying, I just wanted to do it. And I think there's a, that reminds me of what Mr. Hawk said, where someone was saying, I just want to fly. It's like, you don't know that you're great when you're being great. You just kind of are, and history reminds you. Thank you. There we go.
0: Somehow it's not uh, playing. Just give me one second.
5: I'll change to another browser. No problem, no problem. I think our panel is um, patient.
2: Um Represent. shirt representing what we're here for, the oh celebration of the goodness. 50th anniversary. That's fantastic to be able to, to be alive. Many of my friends didn't live to see this. Yeah. So that's a blessing in and of itself to survive, to be a part of this celebration.
3: Talk to us about what it was like leading up to the event, leading up to the moon landing. The, 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 what was the mood around NASA like with you and your fellow engineers? Oh, uh,
2: I actually work for a NASA contractor, okay. uh, Rockwell. But the mood were in my area was a continuum of, of activity for many many years i started work, working on rocket propulsions in the mid 50s long before the apollo was even committed or the saturn program wow. so this was an evolution of a long series of activities for me the culmination of it was apollo 11 mm-hmm. i had been working on apollos from 1 through 17 uh, and the propulsion system that provided the, the the power to get into space, that was my specialty. The camera system was a unique exception to what I normally did, mm-hmm. and it's that that, that occurred uh, actually on Apollo 6, it was one of the two flights which occurred on the same day that Martin Luther King was assassinated, mm. April the 4th, 1968. So my career had a parallel uh, professional uh, component and a social component of civil uh, advantages that I was getting sure. at the point where I mentioned them when I did the work that I'm known for in Downey and now I have an exhibit there I could not live in Downey until fairly recently mm-hmm. so I was afflicted with a dual career in terms of demonstrating that I could, could do this while Our social um, environment was kind of bringing up the rear.
6: Mm -hmm. It wasn't an easy work environment, clearly. It was difficult environment
2: because I was literally taking the job of of an Anglo for all my career. Mm -hmm. Every job I had had not been done by a black before, so they were unaccustomed to people doing those roles. I mean, sweeping the floor and taking out the trash. They understood that, right? Yeah. But that's was that was unique, and that was a. a, the, the burden of a pioneer you carry those things with you sure. you cannot just throw that off and ignore it
6: right.
2: because it'll it'll smack you in the face and it can do do harm to you if you're not aware but to insulate yourself from the impact of those kinds of things was sure. part of my so this was a culmination and the, the confirmation of all that had gone on prior mm. and I my career it, went on some 25 years after that right. on the shuttle program. Mr. Jacobs,
6: I wanted to ask you, so you you are a rocket scientist back in the day uh, involved specifically in the Apollo 11 program. Now, as you mentioned, I want you to explain to San Diegans the camera system that you were involved in that was so instrumental in Apollo 11 and how that today, um, I mean, that alone made history, the images. Yes, Talk to us about that.
2: Yes, it did, and the, the, the issue we had with that was that NASA had to task the Rockwell uh, and a team of engineers to do analysis and tests. We had been doing analysis and tests for a couple of years to prove that the vehicle, the stages of the vehicle would separate mm-hmm. without imploding because they were being subjected to an environment beyond which they were originally built. So this Mm is the Apollo shuttle and Saturn was the most powerful vehicle ever built. So we had to make sure the camera would uh, survive the environment in order to take the video, the the film. Mm -hmm. So we had years to prove that. And Mm -hmm. finally, NASA, in essence, said to us, show me. And so we put the cameras in to to show and to confirm the separation system was a viable system. Mm and that took place a year or so before we committed to to Apollo 11.
6: So we knew it worked and the image for the first time the whole world saw the curvature of the Earth. That's correct.
2: We had never flown that high and taken pictures even though that was not our primary purpose that was a byproduct of proving that separation took place was to see the Earth's curvature Mm -hmm. and that is what made it iconic and of all the things I did in 40 years it survived to be the most right significant thing that I ever did, and I, I, would have, I would have disagreed with that if you'd asked me what, what I should identify as my career. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Well, the, the, the film itself became iconic. It's amazing. And it, it had a life of its own, and so I adapted to that rather than other things.
3: And Shelby, in the short time that we have left, talk to us about what it was like for you to watch them set foot on the moon after all of those years of hard work, and be, what was, you were a part of that. What was it like for you to it watch that? It was
2: just uh, euphoria. I mean, I was really excited. I didn't get a chance to see it in real time because it happened on back east. And it was, but it was uh, the culmination of a series of events that finally said you could have a, a, a sigh of a moment of just can't even express it.
6: Yeah.
2: But that was like just the beginning for me. My career, 30 years beyond that, sure. I, I was still going. So it was a highlight that demonstrated that, yes, it can be done, I can do it, other people of color and women can do it. That's what it meant to me, which was much more significant than the event itself. Yeah, you are a true pioneer.
6: That is a, absolute, a, absolute, a hero. Absolutely, for Shelby. Shelby.
2: I'm glad to wear and, that, that blue. And we are <laughs> so glad that
6: you are a San Diego. Yes. I mean, for us, that's even, you know, you live here in the North County area with your family, your lovely wife uh, behind yep. the cameras right now. Well, that's great. That I, big, I retired so.
2: here by choice. Prior to that, I couldn't choose where I that's lived. Right, that's that. right. That's <laughs> right. All right.
1: Shelby
4: Jacobs, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. much. Great to see you again. Thank you very much. God bless.
2: Thank My you. pleasure. <laughs>
5: Well, thank you very much. Um, we'll definitely um, look forward to asking a few questions as we as we move forward. Uh, my next panelist is um, Mr. Frederick Beck. He is a retired Air Force major and current section manager for cyber and ICANN engineering and ops at um, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Um, Mr. Beck, would you like to um, introduce yourself and tell us a
7: little bit about yourself? All right. Thank you, Dr. Taylor. I, I, thanks, everyone, for having me on uh, board this, uh, this morning or this afternoon as it would be now. I appreciate the opportunity to I, I sit in such esteemed company. Uh, growing up uh, in a small town in Al- southeast Alabama or what have you, I, I always heard of Tuskegee Institute or whatever, and it was like his historically a uh, school that everyone kind of inspired to go to or what have you just because of the fact of all of its heritage. Uh, but seldom was it ever referenced uh, in terms in my little town or what have you, talking about the significance of Tuskegee Airmen. And so, uh, that in and of itself, or whatever, I would have like driven uh, me or what have you to aspire like, to do those same type of things. And I think. I ended up having a career that kind of circled the outskirts of that significant activity that was going on there. But still, I ended up eventually joining the Air Force, serving like in the enlisted corps, and then getting my commission uh, halfway through my uh, service there and spending 22 years in the Air Force. Uh, in which time, I did a, a list of things I traveled the world and like seen uh, and had a ton of experiences. Uh, and now I find myself uh, working with NASA. Uh, Mr. Jacobs setting a, a way for like those significant activities where I'm uh, leading up the uh, engineering portion and operations for cybersecurity and ICAM, which is identity credentials and access management. And so I've been at JPL now for seven years and like uh, continue my uh, career there, uh, looking to continue to like uh, uh, earn the right to be on the stage with like my colleagues here and also being able to contribute to what like, our Blacks are doing in society as a whole. So I appreciate that this morning or this afternoon, excuse me.
5: Well, thank you for your service. Um, I definitely have a few questions. I find it interesting that our panel is from all over the place. Um, so I want everyone to start stewing on my first question. Is um, did you hear about the Tuskegee Airmen before this? Um, just because I think one sometimes it is taught, sometimes it's not taught, and sometimes it's taught incorrectly. So just start steering on that on that question as we go into this. Um, but first, um, my next panelist is Mrs. Karen Robinson. Uh, she is the president of the Sam Bruce Chapter of the Tuskegee Airmen in Seattle, Washington, and she's also the journal daughter. Sorry, excuse me, The daughter of the Lieutenant Colonel uh, Leroy Roberts Jr., who was actually a Tuskegee Airman. so. If you'd like to introduce yourself um, quickly, Mr. Zalmason, I'm sure we'd love to hear you. And so thank you so much for joining us today. You're muted if you're speaking right now. Um, Oh, there you are, okay. Am I? Yeah, I can hear you, perfect.
8: Okay. Well, thank you so much for having you. This is such an honorable um, panel that you have here. I'm just enthralled by everyone's credentials and everything. I um, My dad was a Tuskegee Airman, and when I was growing up, no one knew about them. I did, because I heard his stories, and a lot of his um, friends, they, they would tell stories about um, what they did in the war, but no one else seemed to know about it. They all knew that Daddy was a Oh, there I am. The daddy was a um, like a supply officer or whatever when he ran uh, the uh, the one out here at McCord Air Force Base in Washington State. But um, they didn't know anything about him being um, a pilot or a you know fighter pilot. So um, now that they're honored through the um, people knew about them through the movies, um, people you know started. Um, Learning about them and wanting to know more and more about their history, and so that we were able to talk about them. I have a ton of stories that Daddy told me about what happened when he was, you know, in the Air Force and um, things that happened to him um, during his tenure at Ramatelli Air Force Base in Italy, where he ran, you know, where he did a lot of his missions uh, over to Poland and to Austria and places like that, you know, and fighting. And also, he did say that. Um, The reason why he did it because a lot of times people say, why did you do it? The United States is not, you know, um, they they don't like black people. We're still segregated. He said, because of promise that the United States has as being the greatest country in the world. This is the greatest country we'll ever have. And um, he says, it's a promise for you to be what you can be. They knew that they, um, you know, uh, tried to get things going as far as um, integration but um, we we knew that they started a lot of things. So um, I'm just very proud to be here and also the legacy that um, my dad and the other men uh, paved the way for. So thank you.
5: Thank you so much for joining us. Um, It's obviously an honor to have someone who's um, directly a part of that legacy. I think everyone else gets to learn about the spec legacy but you are actually are living um, living not just participating but living family members so thank you so much for joining us today we truly truly appreciate it
8: thank you uh,
5: my next um, my next panelist is mr Gary Moore i hope i said that correctly uh, would you mind taking about 30 seconds to introduce
9: yourself sure i'd be happy to yes uh, i'm gary moyer i uh graduated in 1966 and started working in the Apollo program for the first two years. That included a lot of the work in recovery from the uh, 1967 pad fire, including the, the hatches and the uh, forward structure and recovery systems. Uh, from there on, I went on to uh, it, short term, late time later, uh, well, I went to Lockheed and then I went to TRW and I worked on the lunar module descent engine a little bit in its secondary use as a booster second stage engine. Um, along about that time, I also got involved in what we, what we call the Wright Flyer project. And that's a project to build a replica of the original airplane. And I think if, I can't see my own screen right now, but I think if you have the screen, uh, that you may be able to see the Wright Flyer that we built, the, sec- the second Wright Flyer we built behind me at the moment. Uh, so anyway, uh, the American Institute of Aeronautics and Ice and Astronautics built a Wright Flyer in 1953. And that was in the San Diego Air and Space Museum fire in, 19, in about 1980 and uh, after that, there we go. And after that, um, the members got together and decided to build a replica of the of the airplane. Another replica. Here's the 1953 flyer. And uh, so, I got cornered into that in about 1980. It was gone for about 10 years because I didn't think we'd ever finish the airplane. But we built a replica that was insta- that was a, a wind tunnel model. And it was installed in the NASA, NASA Ames wind tunnel in '93 and '99. Uh, and then we started working on this airplane, which is a flyable version. Anyway, when we started working on this. Aircraft. We were at the um, at the Northrop facility in Hawthorne Airport, and after that, we would go for lunch over to Nat's Cafe, uh, Crenshaw, and uh, and and just south of the airport. And uh, once or twice a month, there would be about a half a dozen Tuskegee airmen that would come in. And that's my weak excuse for getting into this panel.
4: Uh,
7: well, thank
9: so you anyway, we, we would talk to them, and whenever whenever they were there, we would give them the honor of the corner cha- corner table. Um, I see that that our uh, then chairman uh, just arrived at the at the hangar here too, but. Um, anyway, that's the brief introduction, <laughs> a little, little more than brief.
5: Thank you so much for the um, introduction. It's lovely to actually see some of the planes. Um, one of the things that I was saying is that there's a huge history of aircraft in, in space, in particular, in Southern California, and so it's, it's lovely to not only be able to see this, and I, I wanted to bring this up later on, but... Just even understanding that the B-52, the not 52 sorry, B-51, P-51 Thunderbird was actually made in Inglewood So, you know, that's that's literally the plane that they were flying as to see I mean, and that was literally made in made in Inglewood Just like um, Mr. Sh- Mr. Um, Mr. Shelby's uh, presentation oh. talked about how Downey was so much uh, so integral as a part of the Apollo program. So there's such a long history of aerospace and aircraft not only um you know black history but like aircraft and air, aerospace history in southern california um that you know kind of permeates through all of us. um i i have i believe i have two more um panelists so i want to go very quickly to the a few questions um, first i have dr Barbara shannon if she'd like to introduce herself
6: oh, hi. Hi. Hi.
9: Hi. can you hear me I'm sorry, I'm sorry, were you talking to me perchance? No,
5: no, no, it, no, I, I heard you that's great. Thank you so much. Um okay, good. Uh, um all right. Dr. Shannon may or may not be here for the family. So um is Victor Cook here?
10: Okay, all
5: right, I'm gonna pose my first question. Um and that has to do with the representation. Mm-hmm. If you could say, um, Gary, would you mind? Is that good? I was. My first question for everyone was, oh, there you are. Sorry. Before I start, um, I'd like to give a moment to Victor Cook. Would you like to introduce yourself?
10: Oh yeah, I was supposed to be a panelist. I don't think, but yeah, my name is Victor Cook. Uh, uh, right number is that and. Uh, Texas. I work Lockheed Martin Company. And I started out right there in Southern California, too. That's where you guys are located. Um, and then uh, and I went through the whole aerospace industry thing, from uh, ROTC through the Air Force and back out to uh, the Boeing. I went as a Boeing company. Um, uh, and so uh, I wasn't prepared to speak today, but uh, I'm, I've been listening. and. Okay. Interesting what Mr. Hawks was talking about, because we, uh, we still have a virtual flying team on, online, uh, the 99th, uh, well, it's the 332nd, but we 99th Friday, a group, virtual flying group, uh simulator flying. Well, and a, yeah, so I, go ahead, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to speak, but go ahead.
5: but thank you so much for, thank you so much for your service and thank you for introducing yourself. Um, I think it's really important that we get a mixture of um, the people that are presenting, and especially since there are so many um, Um, lives of the I'm in touch, so thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Barbara Shannon, I'd love to hear from you, if you'd like to introduce yourself um, very quickly.
11: Um, Good afternoon, everyone, distinguished panelists. I'm not a panelist, as a matter of fact, I'm just, I'm I'm an educator and I'm involved with AIAA. Both of my uncles, though, worked in the aerospace industry. Um, They were involved in um, They worked in the Downey area. They worked out of El Segundo. They've been gone a few years though now. And uh, I had an uncle who was in the US Navy. And uh, so I just wanted to hear what everyone had to say. I've been fortunate to, one of the last Tuskegee Airmen came and spoke at a school where I was a teacher. So that was really great for the students that were involved. So that's who I am.
5: Thank you so much for introducing yourself. Um, So my first question to everyone um, is where are you from and when was the first time you heard about the Tuskegee Airmen? So I'm from Chicago. I grew up, I grew up born and raised in Chicago, um, but I heard about the Tuskegee Airmen mostly because my dad was an Army Ranger. So my dad was into military, military stories, military history. So I very much heard about the Tuskegee Airmen growing up. Um, but one, I mean, just from the, con- the presentation, I guess I didn't realize the Tuskegee Airmen weren't necessarily from Tuskegee. <laughs> I thought, I and excuse my ignorance, I, they're from Tuskegee, right? Like you're from Alabama. So I thought they were all from Alabama, which I mean, rethinking that obviously the military comes from all over the place. So it's lovely to hear, you know, oh, there's representation of other places. But in my head, it's Tuskegee airmen are all from Alabama because that's where Tuskegee is. And that's that's just what it is. Um, but my question is, um, sorry, my question stands, where are you from? And when was the first time you heard of a Tuskegee Airmen?
4: And please, anyone is free um, to answer. Well, I'll jump in here if you don't mind me just you know mm-hmm. adding something, at least starting things off. So um, as I mentioned before, I'm Mike Wallace. I'm actually from New Jersey, even though I've been living in California for the last 36 years. But um, the first time I heard of the Tuskegee Airmen, I would have to say was right when I joined the Air Force. I didn't hear about them um, prior to that. Uh, but when I went into the Air Force, Back in the 80s, I w- it was talked about then. Uh, like I said, it wasn't really taught in school. At least where I went to school, it wasn't, it wasn't taught at all. So mm-hmm. it was the Air Force that got me more involved. And I went in as an enlisted uh, individual when I first joined up for the Air Force. I-, I finished my college degree after I got out. So that was one of the ones that kind of inspired me because I started saying, well, then how do you become a pilot? What do you have to do? And they said, oh, you have to. Become an officer, and so, and I usually they say, "Well, if you're going to become an officer, it's best to go into engineering." And so that's how I ended up going into engineering. Although my degree is not in aerospace engineering; it's in electrical engineering. But it was the start, and it was one of the things that really did inspire me to to move forward with my career, even after getting out of the military and moving forward. And I think uh, Mr. Harvey even mentioned about, you know, we talked about civil rights, but the Tuskegee Airmen was were before. The civil rights. I mean, they were still part of that movement, you know, at, after the reconstruction period, after the emancipation Proclamation, we had all these things going. But they were the ones that that helped drove the military to be integrated. So looking back at the history of the Tuskegee Airmen, it was definitely inspirational in, in my life and, and helped to inspire me to move on what I wanted to do in life. So that's my two cents on it. And I'll just leave it from there. Let someone else answer. No, please.
2: I wanted to comment on, on that by me. Yes, yeah, please. Can you hear please. me? Yes, you can yes, hear me. I was, I was uh, first became aware of Tuskegee Airmen as the exper- a great experiment. Uh, during my early aerospace career, I started at Rocketdyne in 1956. And one of the things that I noticed uh, among the few blacks that were there, uh, different than myself, they had developed a kind of a philosophy uh, looking at the system as giving them assignments that were spring-loaded to failure. And so the Tuskegee experiment, the way they looked at it, it was designed to prove that blacks couldn't fly. And then as a a result of that, the evidence was overwhelming that they could. And that's kind of been the story of my life, to accept assignments throughout my career some of which may have been designed to prove I couldn't do it. In fact, I prevailed in my entire 40-year career. So I had an early uh, association with this uh, Tuskegee Airmen because some of the engineers were f- very reserved about accepting assignments. And they, re- they referred back to the Tuskegee experiment as being not really designed for success, but spring-loaded to failure. Mm. So I kind of dealt with that phenomenon, trying to encourage young Black in every avenue of of life, not to be concerned about the purpose for which you're given something, but try to make it work. And that would be a benefit to you and the rest of us, all of our lives. Thank you. Mr.
5: Uh, Backhorn, when did you, or Mr.
2: Harvey,
1: You know, I I would like to uh, echo what uh, Shelby said that, um, and particularly, in the, in the 60s, um, people were trying to do two things at once. They were trying to prove that they could uh, accept that Blacks were a part of society, but they were also, like Shelby says, given uh, jobs. And I think I mentioned in my talk that uh, my first engineering job was, uh, with General Dynamics because they wanted to get a black engineer, they put me in the front office, and they they knew that a fresh college graduate would not be successful in in the front office, and um, and and I suppose in in a sense, they they were correct because I didn't stay there very long. <laughs> I. Um, I did get a good experience with general Dynamics and working with uh, the assignment that I had was what, it, what turned out to be cry- cryogenics. And I learned a lot and I felt that I did pretty good. Uh, got involved in a lot of uh, different experiments working with the uh, both the army uh, missile system and the uh, Navy, Navy mi- missile systems. But um, but when I found out that they, they were doing their own little experiment when they hired me, I said, well, hey, I've had enough of this. So that's when I, I said, I, plus I wanted to work on missiles. I didn't want to work on airplanes. I mean, I wanted to work on airplanes. So I went to Long Beach, went to work for Douglas. But um, getting back to the first part of the question, I'm originally from Michigan and um, I, my inspiration for aviation came from uh, being just west of Detroit and seeing all these army, uh, all these airplanes that were being produced in Detroit. Because during the uh, 40s, they, uh, all the General Motors, Ford and Chrysler that were producing cars, uh, in 1940, 1941, they switched over to aircraft. And uh, Willow Run Factory produced uh, a lot of B 24 Liberators. And um, I lived on a farm just uh, west of there. And it seemed like, and of course I'm exaggerating a bit, but it seemed like almost every day there would be uh, dozens of P 38s, B 24s. C-119s, all these airplanes uh, being manufactured in Detroit, they would fly west to go to uh, Kansas and Iowa Mm -hmm. to be outfitted and then go back to the East Coast to be shipped over to Europe. And um, of course, I was a kid at that time. and I always thought, well, boy, one of these days, I'm going to be up there. But uh, uh, as far as... Uh, I knew during, during the war that there were some black pilots so I, I didn't have any reason to believe that uh, I couldn't be a pilot. I didn't know, um, I didn't identify them as being Tuskegee Airmen, but um, of course at that time, and some of you probably remember this, that uh, um, especially in the kind of the rural area There were no black newspapers except for the Pittsburgh Courier and the uh, Chicago Defender, at least for those of us in the Midwest, the Chicago Defender and the Pittsburgh Courier. And we um, we subscribed to the Pittsburgh Courier. uh, And so every week we would get this uh, newspaper and they were the only ones that would report on the fact that there were uh, black pilots fighting over in uh, Europe. And um, so I, I, I was aware of that. I didn't, wasn't actually aware of the Tuskegee uh, connection until uh, oh, much, much later in my career. I, uh, some of the other engineers I worked with, other people I worked with, were, uh, turned out to be Tuskegee Airmen. They didn't identify themselves as Tuskegee Airmen. They just said, well, yeah, they served in the Second World War. One of them uh, by name was Jim Wiley. And of course, Karen is very familiar with Jim Wiley. He, was, he lived uh, locally, worked for Boeing, and he and I uh, took a few trips together for, for the company and working with various customers. And uh, right now uh, in our Museum of Flight exhibit, we have some of Jim Wiley's uh, artifacts on exhibit in the museum, uh, along with Bill Holloman, and at the time I knew I I knew he was in the Second World War, and I knew he had something to do with aviation, but I didn't realize that he was, uh, you know, that he had actually shot down German airplanes, that he was uh, part of the crew that uh, won the uh, after the war was over with the uh, a crew from the three thirty second fighter group. Won the uh, National Air Force competition, fighter competition, that was in 1948, I believe, 1949, and Thank Jim you. Wiley was uh, the crew chief on that whole whole thing. Another one, name I mentioned before was Harry Stewart; he was one of the pilots that flew in that. And so these these people, I I'd, I didn't actually join the Tuskegee Airmen group until uh, oh about 19. I guess 1998, 1999, it was 1998 when I first uh, met uh, uh, at that time, General uh, Davis, General uh, uh, Benjamin L. Davis.
10: Thank you.
1: He, he made me much aware that uh, the fact that Tuskegee played a big part in this whole thing. But it, it was, uh, for me, it's, it's been, been quite an adventure.
5: Thank you. It's, it must be amazing to have such a personal connection and to hear the historical, um, the large historical context. Um, Mr. Beck, um, when, where are you from and where, when did you first hear about the Tuskegee woman? Uh
7: Thank you. Um, as I mentioned I, uh, in the intro, I'm like from just a small little town in southeast Alabama, uh, like right on the Alabama-Georgia uh, border. And so Tuskegee, although it was like less than an hour and a half from my hometown or whatever, I think probably the first time like the previous gentleman on the panel mentioned, I I heard about it when I first joined the Air Force. Uh, I joined the Air Force back in the early 90s or what have you, spent like 18 years growing up in Alabama and not knowing the uh, significance of the historic events that had taken place there at uh, Tuskegee. Um, And one of the things that's kind of cliche is to kind of mention it or whatever, but like history's kind of written by the victors. And uh, another cliche is knowledge is power or what have you. And so you take those two together or whatever. And the fact that, that it wasn't being taught in the schools in the areas where all that historic activity was taking place is like uh, a significant factor, what have you, when people are trying to hold you down or whatever and like limit your access to knowledge. And one of the best things that we could do as a society or whatever is to like share that knowledge, the gentlemen and uh, ladies here on this panel or what have you have excelled in the things that you all have done, uh, setting the stage for uh, other uh, young black kids or what have you to come up uh, in society today. And so that's what I want to try to continue to do as well or whatever is help further that knowledge. So when you leave a place, you always leave it better than when you started. And I can see that in like the, and the careers of everyone that's uh, talking here today.
5: Thank you. I'd like to first mention that if you are not following Moore's um, um, presentation, you should really follow it. It's amazing to see all, all the planes and statues he's going through. So please um, check that out if you're like, t- check it out, it's quite interesting. Um, the conversation actually had me thinking of like what my next part was about the representation. So Mr. Harvey just talked about how you hear about it. Um, we, we didn't hear about black pilots per se, unless it was from maybe black papers back in the day um, versus um, the, like uh, Mr. Beck just talked about, that like, you may or may not have heard about it although you're much closer to where it's actually happening. So sometimes that media representation and sometimes like that, those stories getting out there is very limited. Like you are, it's very limited. I find, I find it interesting that somehow we're able to make sure we draft African Americans in particular for World War II, but we're not able to make sure that they know all of the roles that they play um, like even during the draft for that matter, or even at our for their descendants. So I think that's a little it's crazy that we can, we can get the information out that we need people for a draft but we can't get the information out that we have black pilots. Um, so my, my next question, and this is open, so sorry, um, this is Robinson. I assume friend, you you knew growing up, obviously. My dad was in the army, so I assure you, my dad told me what yes. he was, told me it was just So I'm assuming your dad told you. So didn't want to leave you out. Um, but I think it's amazing how that personal that personal connection, um, and I think it's amazing if you have options and the opportunity for the personal connection. Um, but my the reason I asked where everyone was from, and the reason I asked uh, when we first heard about them is because I think we have a problem where we don't tell, like, obviously, we had this great presentation on the Tuskegee Airmen today. We're representing, we're um, honoring them today. But unless you actually go to something like this, um, if your schools don't tell, talk to you about it, how do you find out about it? Um, and I feel like the other way that I find, like, like the Tuskegee Airmen in particular is obviously movies and and that type of representation. So... Even Mr. Harvey's presentation, he had Battlestar Galactica, I forget the gentleman's name that said he was inspired by the by the Red Tails. We have the movie, The Red Tails. We have the movie, The Tuskegee Airmen. Um, those those type of representations are coming, are, are out there. Um, I will put this as a general question to the panelists. Um, are you happy with how the Tuskegee Airmen have been represented? Represented. So let's assume you've heard, heard of them. Are you happy with, um, how they've, been, how they've been shown, and, and what history has shown of them.
7: Um, I, I, I think that goes back to your first question, or whatever, is like, when did we hear about them? Because you look at today's society, or what have you, and everybody is developing this social influence, or what have you mantra, or whatever, for like, as a career field. And so what would have been the significance of the Tuskegee Airmen had we had this type of technology actually talk about things that they're doing or what have you? Um, I have a 21-year-old son that is always on social media, what have you. I uh, recently wrote a new book or whatever and like reaching millions of people. But to have the uh, Tuskegee Airmen or what have you only kind of be depicted in a, a film here or a film there and then we have to go to an event to hear the significance of them, I think it would say it's underserved for what they did for uh, black society as a whole, as well as like integration and like desegregation of the military overall, Mm -hmm. because prior to them or what have you, as you talked about the hundred officer mutiny or whatever, uh, would that happen today or could that happen today, given the ability for us to actually reach people across the internet. Uh, When I was at the Air Force Academy, one of the things that we kind of turned as a new, uh, coined as a new term or whatever, was digital immigrant and digital native. A digital immigrant is someone my age or what have you that had access to computers, not so much the internet from a very young age. And a digital native is someone that has only known connected uh, society. And so they have the ability to actually have access to a wealth more information than someone would have 30 or 40 years ago.
4: You know, Dr. Taylor, I want to add a little something to what Mr. Beck just talked about. And, and actually, I know we are only focusing on, well, the question so far has been focusing on uh, Tuskegee, Tuskegee Airmen and, and what we've heard about in the past. And as I mentioned before, I didn't hear about it into the Air Force. Mr. Beck was the same way. I believe others were the same too. But let me just take that a step further. Juneteenth, I didn't hear about until later, on in my life. So that was something that was not taught in school. So yes, the information that we received uh, has been later. And I think Mr. Beck actually alluded to this, that the fact that if if we would have heard some of this information earlier in our lives, it could have been some key or critical things that would have helped inspire a lot of Blacks uh, to make a lot of progress because he said it. Uh, knowledge is power. So without that, without knowing some of the contributions that were made in the past, you know, it it did kind of stifle our progress in a sense. So uh, now we know it. Now we have to continue to spread that knowledge forward. You know, each one, teach one as best as you can and help others out. So.
2: comment Um, on that. uh, I, I, I guess the way I would characterize that is that as we all know, we've recently been exposed to the hidden figure phenomenon. That phenomenon is not new. Even when I was in aerospace uh, in the 50s, for two reasons, it was some of this stuff was confidential because we were competing with the Russians. And what I found is that people didn't believe it. And I could not spend the time convincing them because it was confidential. So being in these areas where we were denied in the past, were not only unbelievable, but in many cases, we couldn't talk about it until much later. Mm. So just as the Hidden Figure movie came out several years ago, one was led to believe that the aerospace was dominated on the the East Coast, which is far from the truth. As we speak, the West Coast, Black History Museums, and aerospace museums are trying to spread the word that, the aerospace inclusion of Blacks was throughout the country, and particularly on the West Coast. So the hidden figure phenomenon, we're beginning to overcome that. And of course, the the, uh, Tuskegee Airmen were part of that. It was, for some reason, there was not an overwhelming desire to uh, identify positive contributions by Blacks and women historically. And I'm glad to report in this era, there's a tendency that we're overcoming that by Involvement of young blacks and and females, and by being on discussing that phenomenon, I was deprived of it. My children and grandchildren knew knew of it only because they knew me. And one of the 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 most significant things that I can point to is when I had uh, a a display in the in the Aerospace History Museum in Downey. They asked me for some personal background, and my daughter and granddaughter were pictured in. display so when they came to the event to see my display they were surprised that they were in it until this day i've been unable to really appreciate the impact on them to see their father and grandfather on display as making positive contributions to aerospace and society in general uh the negative news travels far and has long lasting lives these stories for some reason they have short lives and get buried I'm glad that it looks like nowadays we're overcoming that phenomenon.
11: So I wanna just intersperse something as an educator and also a founder of, of two schools. Uh, Mr. Beck, I was not aware that you were at JPL. So let me talk a little bit about the partnerships that we try to get to uplift our students and the internships. So I was able to, to touch basis with um, Marion Colson at Metro, African-American lady who has an internship at in Metro. I've put students in there every single year. I've scrambled to get internships other ways. And I'm listening to what Mr. Jacobs is saying and what you said. I also try to hire teachers that are willing to reach out and talk about all things and have been lucky enough to do that. So I guess in a long run, what I'm saying I hear what you're saying and I hear what you're saying about social media, But I also would like to reach out to any of you that are still in the industry to reach out to schools. Because, again, if we don't have the role models, now I'm a biomedical engineer, a little bit different from what you guys do, but uh, interested in all engineering. I've had engineering at my high school since 2011, and I've had six, seven students wanting to go into aerospace engineering, and two that I put out at Boeing as interns. But I need more of those because, you know, there's only so many places that I can go and I need to know more people so that I can share that with others. Um, I was also fortunate enough to be our graduation speaker, speaker this year, which was kind of odd because, you know, we'd been a year of uh, being uh, not at school. And so they asked me, it's our 10th anniversary of our high school. And one of the things that I say to my students when they get when they're graduating is please reach back and pull someone up with you. Don't forget, and I think in the past, what may have happened, the struggles that we have had, when we get out there and we become successful, we forget about everybody else, cause we finally made it. But if we remember to reach back and pull several people up behind us so that they in turn pull several people up behind us, I think eventually this is all gonna work out. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be in the civil rights movement in the sixties and you know, sometimes I get discouraged and I say my God we're still, we're still trying to do the same thing that we're trying to do in the 60s Absolutely. and by now we should be over that and you know progressing but I think the whole idea is to, is to train people to, to reach back and pull up. Thank you and
7: Dr. Shannon I, I definitely appreciate that and like any way I can help uh, facilitate interactions with JPL or what have you like from the stem side of the house, I would be uh, happy to do that. My team goes out to the local community on like frequent occasions, like uh, pulling along women in uh, the STEM environment or whatever. And I've gone to a couple of schools myself locally uh, there in the Pasadena area to have those conversations. And so like, I'd be happy to share my information so that way we can like uh, exchange ideas.
11: Thank you.
2: Do, do you know of Janelle Weldon, Janelle, uh, Weldon at JPL? Yes. I met I met them, they, are, they do have internship programs that I'm in, been in touch with her just recently with some people here in the San Diego area trying to get them involved in the internship programs. So I know that JPL, NASA in general, but JPL in particular has internship programs and there are people that are trying to stimulate the inclusion of female and minorities uh, currently as we speak.
7: Yeah, and JPL has been like successful in that arena by actually having diversity groups across the spectrum uh, to help facilitate those type of like uh, engagements. And so I think uh, with that, uh, we're open to any ideas uh, moving forward. We've been going out to HBCUs. Uh, I have a couple of team members right now that are from like uh, North Carolina AT. and and so like. Uh, great additions to my team. So I'm looking forward to more exchanges. Thank you.
4: And Dr. Shannon, um, I also do the same thing. Even though I'm at Raytheon, I'm not in the hiring uh, area anymore. Like I used to be, I was a department manager and I used to hire go out to recruiting. But another thing is I, I also, like yourself, parallel my career, I used to also in education. So I, I taught 13 years, taught math, algebra, statistics, and calculus at a a community college, and also taught at Cal State Long Beach System Engineering. So I know what you mean about getting the students involved. Now at Raytheon, what I'll do is I'll pass my information on. If anyone's interested in trying to, you know, getting into engineering, I have a lot of the section managers and department managers, I can pass their information on to them. So I'll I'll do the same thing. I'll offer it up to you. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
5: Yep. I will say that um, one of the most beautiful things about being black in aerospace, is that all? Black people help you. So, like, <laughs> no, being honest, like I have never ran into a black aerospace professional that did not at least respond to my email, that did not help me find the right person, that did not help me figure out like where I'm going next. Um, when I was a student, like I actually interned at JPL. Um, I like that's one of the most wonderful things about I think being black in aerospace is that you automatically have an entire network that is that wants to see you succeed and wants to, see, uh, wants, to see, wants, wants to see more of themselves in you. So I think that's one of the most wonderful things about being black in aerospace in particular. Um, but I wanted to give um, Dr. Robin, um, Ms. Robinson a, a moment to speak about um, whether or not you were happy about um, how the Tuskegee Urban had been represented or for that matter taught. Um, I just wanted to give you a moment to, to answer that question as well.
8: Oh, certainly. I, I kind of am. I, it's been a long time in coming. Um, two things I want to say. Number one is we don't really call it the Tuskegee experiment because no. that has the negative connotations of the syphilis experiment that happened on the grounds of Tuskegee. So we call it the Tuskegee experience is what we call it. And so that it's more of a positive thing. Uh, number two, okay, Shelby, I see you. Uh, number two is, um, I believe, in 2007, the U.S. Mint came to us to um, do a quarter for, um, if we wanted to, you know, have a quarter. And so this year. Uh, Alabama, who was, was the last state to um, mint the quarter, has a picture of a Tuskegee Airman on their "America the Beautiful" series. And the reason why it's so remarkable for to me, it, number one, is because it has a Tuskegee Airman on it. But it has four words that Harvey and I use in all of our presentations. It says they fought two wars, mm-hmm. and that's on the back of that. And it says it says that we did fight a war in Europe and in the Pacific. Um, against fascism and we fought a war here in the United States against racism so it's acknowledged and it's minted on our coins now and Harvey when I see you I will give you yours okay we just haven't been able to see each other in the past year but I did get a lot for our chapter and so everyone that became a member um, or renewed their membership I do have you know the quarters for people so that that's what I want to say and so we're finally being acknowledged a a lot of things and then the Congressional Medal of Honor so people do know about us, but I'm finding out that kids don't know a lot. So we go out to the schools and to other places. Um, Harvey goes like to Rotary clubs and stuff uh, and letting people know about uh, what's going on. Um, but we do have to keep pounding on on the young people about the opportunities that are available now for kids um, in our um youth program that we have and we do train kids that want to learn how to become pilots or whatever. Um, So that's what we're trying to do is reach back and bring up the kids and teach them about drones now and about um, the, you know, the Uh, aerospace and and uh, aviation uh, opportunities for them now that didn't that were not available when my dad was coming up he always like harvey said they all that all they want to do is fly that's all they want to do daddy used to look up at the sky and says one day he was in a small city in georgia called tocoa georgia and he'd look up in the sky says one day i'm gonna fly one of those planes and and uh, I know my grandfather told him, boy, you're not gonna do that. The only people that fly planes here are crop dusters and they're not gonna teach you to be a you know, crop duster, you know. but he did and uh, he succeeded in what, he, what his dream was. So that's, that's why it's important for kids to learn about other opportunities. But I, I am kind of happy about the way we're being portrayed, but we need a little bit more so, so people will know and, and have the opportunities that um, they didn't have at that time. One of my, I'm I'm
2: relatively pleased uh, retiring here in Oceanside. Were you able to see the uh, the video p- presented by Congressman Levin? Yes. Okay. Well, Oceanside has named the airport after after Jesse mm-hmm.
8: and
2: have have gone uh, to great lengths to acknowledge them here, as well as the city has been collaborating with. Uh, Juneteenth, since uh, for the last what 15 years, at that level, the city citywide recognition, not just a few blacks in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So I'm proud to say that the Tuskegee Airmen and the Juneteenth is is well represented here. I would like to see that throughout the U.S., where cities buy in, as well as uh, Tuskegee Airmen and positive role models throughout the industry are presented. So not only Blacks can learn, but whites can learn that we not only can we do things; we have track records of having
8: performed. Do you know that you all have a Tuskegee Airmen Day in the state of California? Do you guys Uh, know that?
2: I don't know if they specifically have a day, but uh, it is mentioned with the the Juneteenth and the fact that we have an airport. I think they uh, they they have an annual event at the airport, acknowledging the fact that it is named after a black man, which you would not know unless yeah. you inquired.
8: Well, there's, there are four states in the United States that have a Tuskegee Airman Day specifically, and it is the third, no, the fourth Thursday in March. Right. Um, the state of Washington, we got it through our legislative process. California was the first state, believe it or not, was um, Arizona which for a long time did not even acknowledge Martin Luther King, but yeah. they were the first state to have a Tuskegee Airman Day. The second state was California. The third state was Washington State, and the fourth state was Colorado. So we're trying to get this to be a national thing, to have a national Tuskegee Airman Day, the fourth Thursday in March. Um, I don't know why we picked that date, but Arizona picked the day, so we just took it up and did it. We went through our legislative process and it was a big deal. So um, we do celebrate, of course, this Last year we couldn't, um, but usually we do have a big um, fanfare that you know talks about our history and everything, and um, we all get together and celebrate it. Um,
1: Harvey, uh, let's see. Well, the the um, we get a big boost from promotion from the Museum of Flight. They have a Tuskegee Airmen exhibit, and uh, and they. I usually do a monthly program, a public program at the Museum of Flight, that includes most of what you saw in my talk today, and and so the, and they we meet at their facility every month, uh, our local chapter does, and so it's it's a lot is being done to get the get the word out. We have, as Karen mentioned, we have a youth program, which. Uh, allows the youth to get involved, and we hopefully have made an influence on some of their choices. Um, Along with the Museum of Flight, we have a um, Seattle Public School that's associated with the museum. It's called the Aviation High School. And uh, many of those students there uh, are I've I've talked to several of the classes. Uh, they have a re- it's a regular high school curriculum, and it's not it's uh, obviously a STEM school, uh, and and it's uh, it's been proven to be a very good uh, very good experiment. And, and of course, I guess because of that, my I have two sons. They're both engineers. I don't know where they got that from. I have. <laughs> As I said, eleven grandchildren, and a couple of them. Um, one is a graduate engineer, and a couple others are in the engineering, are leaning toward engineering. And I don't know where that comes from, but uh, obviously they have been influenced by not only by myself but other people I've been associated with, because as um, I got I've gotten to know Karen and and other members of our chapter who are sons and daughters of Tuskegee Airmen. and It's, it's really, um, I, I find it very enlightening. I guess I, I, I feel a little bit jealous because I, I guess I wish I could have been a Tuskegee Airmen or, or <laughs> done something like that. But I, I, I was, um, you know, been relegated to all this commercial aviation. But I'm um, but very, um, I guess, I lean toward the military quite a bit, even though I didn't serve in the military. I have a son that's a captain in the Navy. And um, so he, uh, he you know, I, I tried, I thought that he should go to the Air Force Academy. And he, he said, well, no, in the Air Force, you either fly or you die. And so... <laughs> And okay. Well, <laughs> that, that, that's a little crazy. He, he said he wanted more, so he chose the navy. He went to the navy academy, and uh, he ended up flying. But he flies under the water. He's a submarine officer, and so he he flies under under the surface, and um, and I'm kind of proud to say that now that of course his. Uh, his flying days are over with. Uh, he's now a professor at the uh, Naval Academy, okay. and uh, so. But I think the portrayal of the Tuskegee Airmen is uh, is an excellent excellent uh, role model for a lot of young people, and we, you know, we're all privileged by having mm-hmm. such a group to aspire to, the same as, um, you know, uh, I'm sure that Shelby has, uh, 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 he came into engineering about the, uh, maybe a couple of years before I did. And uh, 1956? Uh, well, I, 1955. Okay, well, that's the same time period. Well, you know, one of the footnotes I wanted
2: to add, I see this this time period as a true beginning of the... In of the, the hidden figure phenomenon. That, that's right. And so I'm encouraged that it's happening. The only thing I have an uncertainty about
1: is how long will it take? Yeah, it's, it's been a long time. Uh, been a long June, time. Uh, Juneteenth was uh, 1865, right? That's right. So I that guess it requires was... us to be, to be patient and, and persistent. Well, fi- finally, the rest of the world is starting to hear about Juneteenth. It that's
10: only right. took 150 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think <laughs> it's going to take. Excuse me. I think it's going to take. You no, say uh, how long will it take? Based upon my experience, it's probably going to take as long as it takes to phase out all the uh, carryover from the the, uh, the mid, the end of World War II to, like, say, the, the beginning of the '60s. All of that uh, that developed during that time. All that's going to sort of phase out. Uh, before a lot of that takes effect, what you talk about not takes effect, and and some of the, some of the things that go forward as far as being recognized as as black people in aviation, just based off of my experience. But I think that's what it'll take. I think it'll just purely take the phasing out. You know, other words, as people go by, time passes by. As long as it's not nurtured, which is what President is attempting to try to to prevent. As long as it's not nurtured, all those things that were done back then, if it's not nurtured further. Up the road, then it'll, it'll just phase out because there'd be no more story to tell about it, there'd be no more to carry no more body else to carry it over, carry it forward. So I think it's more of a phase out um uh, uh it'd be a phase out phasing out action of, of the old years, you know, the segregated years and all that stuff going forward. Because I got a 1981 in the Air Force and I seen a lot of that. That was since 1981. I put eight years active duty, I was an RTC kid that proud of that. And a lot of stuff that I witnessed was uh, uh, from officers that uh, had entered maybe just after I was born. You know, they, they had the same mentality that they had back in the South and stuff. And some of the same stuff that the Tuskegee Airmen were going through, they was actually, you know, exercising the same stuff during, you know, the, night, the late 70s and the early 80s. So I figured, you know, and it, it wasn't like uh they was trying to do this it was just an innate thing that they would do it's just the way they was trained and taught to do something was just prior to or just after the the, armed, the Air Force of the airport uh became uh integrated so it's just a phasing of time you know it you may see it within two decades or, or, or whatever it takes but some of that old uh, uh oh, some of the old stuff to phase out, and, and move forward into the new, you know, decades and centuries to go forward. But I, play, I believe it's going to play that part. It's just, a, you know, and, and, and then too, was helping a lot is that nowadays, even during my time, a, a lot of stuff like this, this wasn't discussed, you know, this was no education. But I, I spent for three years in the junior ROTC uh, program, Dominguez High School, there come to California. And I was, was taught by one of the, uh, he was a World War II pilot, lieutenant uh, Carroll, and he taught us all about the Air Force and everything. All of the, you know, we thought we needed to know. But Dominguez was mostly a mixed school, and a lot of the guys was black in the in the, in the, in the units. And, and Tuskegee Airmen was just wasn't brought up. You know, I learned about the Tuskegee Airmen um, after I had left the Air Force, actually. You know, I put a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Actually, was they, they come up after I left the Air Force, and but he didn't teach that in the in, in, you know in, in customs and courtesies in the Air Force. He didn't teach that. So, you know, it, it was a big section. So, if he had taught that thing, it would have been more, it, it, it would have prepared me much better. Even if the black has prepared them much better to go forward knowing more about the history of the Air Force in, in, that, in that aspect. Now, it may have been conceived as like a social program, so it may not have a social study, so it may not have been to the best interest of the school and the school district, than really the teachers that uh, during Air Force Security, you know, junior RTC ROTC's run. It still would have helped, though, you know. So yeah. there's those little, little idiot like that that you miss out on stuff like that, those big key, those like That would have been a very good key, because it was actually in almost an emotion to do the same thing that just the airmen were, were doing And the Air Force during my time. And uh, we run into some of the people with the same old um, attitudes and stuff that they had back in uh, uh, at the end of World War II, were Korean War, you know, some of the same discriminatory practices practicing then. It was carrying it forward. And you, you run right, in, it was just bam, you know, run right into it and you didn't recognize it. You know, you didn't recognize you was a good old guy in the air, but you just didn't recognize it. And so as a consequence, you know, a lot of things got missed and stuff, and a lot of things got excused, and a lot of things was done, but it was only after the fact that you could do anything about it. So the education is okay. not part of it, but I believe it's a phase again this is it's gonna be a phase it's got some of the old guys and then to the new guys, new people is coming in. Now, because I have a, I have a I have my youngest niece. She just popped up with the idea she wanted to get into space, and she's only like uh, nine years old. That's <laughs> so, good. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know where she got that from me either, but um, that's what she's interested in. So now I got to concentrate on her because she's down at Houston and stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to concentrate on her now because I, I see that's what she want to do. And I, you know, only a few of us picked up on what each other wanted to do. So hers was again in the area of aerospace and stuff like yeah. that. So.
5: That's wonderful that your family wants yeah. to your family is so exposed. So it's absolutely wonderful, especially since we just said that like it takes a personal connection. Um, Mrs. R- Mrs. Robinson. Um so that's congratulations on getting a quarter for the Tuskegee Man, And I'm sure like we're all gonna be looking for them. So congratulations <laughs> on, on that yeah. one. Uh, when are they when are they coming out or are they already out or like well they were they? in
8: um limited production or whatever they call it, Um, but they will be coming out into circulation very soon. Um, They cost a lot more than a regular quarter would because I think I got 100 and it cost me almost Close to fifty dollars to get a hundred of them. So, um, and they're they're for the chapter members, but um, they should be coming out in circulation very soon. So we're very 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 happy with that, and I'm so happy with the four words. It is so important for people to understand that they fought two wars and it's acknowledged. And I that that's what's so remarkable about it.
5: I also wanted to bring up something that uh, Mr. Harvey said in his presentation about. Um, Basically saying that they just wanted to fly. And correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that they weren't called the Tuskegee Airmen until after the fact. Like no one, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong on this. My understanding is that they weren't called the Tuskegee Airmen. They just so happened to be. They called them Red Tails. But like the term Tuskegee Airmen was like coined after the fact. Am I am I misunderstanding? At least that's what I read. Um, and I'm asking specifically because we're saying that we didn't hear about the we hear about it, but maybe they didn't know what to tell you if that makes sense. Like maybe we can tell you that there, there are black pilots out there but they didn't necessarily know, like they could tell you the, what it? I guess the, the, the um, 99th and 100th, I believe or what's on the what was on the presentation. But um, my understanding is that the uh, experience that wasn't named until after the
1: fact. And, and then that's, say. that's mm-hmm. entirely correct. It mm-hmm. was uh, in 1972 when the uh, Tuskegee Airmen International was formed, and of course that's almost 30 years after the war. Um, before that, they were just known as you know the black pilots of uh, of the army, and the it was when these uh, black pilots, in conversing with each other, they realized that a lot of people didn't realize uh, didn't know about the uh, the story, and so. Mm-hmm. The main reason, uh, the, the two main reasons that the organization was formed was, uh, one of them was to tell the story so that mm-hmm. people would know. And the other is to um, influence young people because there were so many young people. Like when I, uh, I mentioned the story about, I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. And my dad said, no, you, you, know, you don't belong there. You can't, and, and the uh, recruiter the recruiting sergeant, told me that exactly the same thing. He said, you don't want to go there. He said, "There's there's been no one there before, so you, you don't want to go there. And um, so they, they knew that, and part of our purpose in our chapter, and part of the purpose of the uh, organization, the Tuskegee Airmen International, is to um, uh, cut through all this. And, um, Bring the young people along. Let them know. Of course, you know it's it's getting so. It, this story has been being told for about uh, 40 or 50 years, and it's um, getting around more, and more people are getting to uh, be familiar with it. And even young people now have have opportunity to learn about. It. They've seen the movie, The Red Tails. They've seen the shows on TV. Uh, they've heard us talk about it. But uh, in a way, it's a little bit like uh, Juneteenth. Some people have been aware of it for 100 years. Other people just became aware of it last week. Uh, Amen. Last <laughs> year,
10: so, I
1: heard about it. One word of encouragement.
2: I have just one more comment that I'm going to be, have to leave. I have a word of encouragement based on the hidden figure phenomenon. Uh, the fact that the uh, museum in Los Angeles, with the, uh, the the space museum there and the Black History, and the movie came out, which kind of inadvertently overlooked the West Coast, I think that is going to lead to some impetus for the spread of a recognition of Black and female contributions that will accelerate it beyond what would be considered the norm. So perhaps it won't take as long as it would otherwise would if the West Coast hadn't been stiffed in the movie. <laughs>
5: Well, hmm. I guess the, I guess that kind of brings me to my other question. So they weren't called the Tuskegee Airmen to act with that. I think that there was a great comment that was said that they just wanted to fly. And then even what's on the court are saying they fought two wars. Um, I think sometimes we forget that the Tuskegee Airmen weren't trying to be Tuskegee Airmen. They were just trying to fly, right? right. It's history that looks back. And reminds us, wow, that was the first time it happened. Mm-hmm. And it's history that, um, you know, obviously now we're digitally connected. Now we have an opportunity to, you know, talk about the conversation with hidden figures. But when they were in the moment, they were just trying to, you know, learn how to fly. They were just trying to have access. They were just trying to survive, for that matter. They were just trying to survive a war, <laughs> you
10: know. Yeah. Um, so, a lot of us, a lot of us, for being trying to be prestigious too. You know, flying was something. or was something anyway. That was a very prestigious thing to do. You know, it was very uh, uh mostly uh, it, it was something that you could brag about. Absolutely. Okay, and so and like a lot of the white pilots would come back you know, with medals, glory. You know, they would be famous. I mean, there was I mean, a lot of attention paid to it. T- t- it was just something that you'd be looked up to. You, hey, you're a pilot. You know, would, you know, fighter pilot, at that, You know, and so. When a black person is wanted to try to do something like that, you know, it would be almost uh uh, uh it would be something, it would be a bright, a bright to what the white guy was, his status, So it was, it was, it would was, was, was brush up against his status. When I was in the Air Force, I was an aircraft maintenance technician, one of that you're looking at there, right there. And uh, I was a black staff sergeant in there, but I was, I guess they considered me sort of like a smart ass, you know, because I'm a black staff sergeant, you know. And it was just, you know, ever since I was lead, I led all the way. You know, I led completely through basic, through uh, tech school, all the way up to McCord Air Force Base in Washington, D.C., until they finally culminated enough to get some guy that I didn't know anything about to come in and discriminate. And I just I wasn't prepared for it because, like I said, you know, they never studied that type of thing before. And I was always on the good side of things. But um, it was always an air, in, in the air. It was always an air of Com- competitive. It was competitive, very competitive, even in maintenance. It's competitive as, as, in, as a pilot uh, to be the best and to, to be someone that's, that shines out overall. You know, so if you got a, a black guy shine out of all these white guys, and in, in 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 when I was in the race, it was um, You know, it was like maybe ten black folks to hundred white folks, and you sitting out there on the front end like a Rolls Royce. You know, uh, uh, and, and and so it, it, it just didn't make them feel good. It just made most of the guys feel uneasy about this guy knowing this much about it, that. They couldn't catch me. And I was just something running. I was just running out front. They couldn't catch me. And I was the color, the, the color I am. And so it had some type of an offense. It just built an offense up in there, which I didn't have anything that didn't know about. I just knew that it, on a competitive scale, you know, rank for rank, it's always competitive. But then also, they had a, a racial aspect to it that was competitive too, that I wasn't prepared to, to combat. You know, it was just the fact that I was a black guy and, and in charge. I was supervising, and I, I, took, I actually took the position because I was more uh, uh, proficient at what I was doing than they were, and they didn't understand well what they You know, My background uh, allowed me to do that because I was more well prepared when I went in. And it was a core—it was a, you know—it was, it was, it was the core, of core subject. You know, some guys went in for and out the door, right? And some guys went in for a career. Well, I went in because the Air Force was fun to me. And it didn't make a difference in what I'd done. And I, if I would have retired, I would have retired because it would have been a surprise. Hey, I'm, I'm 20 years now. <laughs> I would have stopped oh. there because somebody stopped me. But that, but that's what I'm saying, though. the, the CGM went to the same thing. They went to the same thing of, 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 you know, although they were separate in separate units. But as a whole, as a whole department, Department of Army, the Army, Army Air Force, or United States Air Force, it's, it's, all, it's all competitive. And so there's always going to be some competitive a uh, racial competitive thing uh, on in, in the armed forces that you're going to have to put uh, another 20% in there just to get past. You know, otherwise they start, they're going to hold you in, 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 in the view that you're competitive because you are uh, coming from a different race and different stuff that were uh, traditionally mine. And the public life is dominated for you know hundreds of years, and so it wouldn't look right like <laughs> you go out under you as a black guy. They're going to turn around and say, well, you know. You know, hey Johnny, what how's we doing? You know, you know, how you doing in the Air Force and stuff, and always you got to talk about me. <laughs> That's a perfect
5: conversation, though, about how I uh, I think that we are taught we have to be twice as good
9: to get rewards, right? It's a long that's story.
5: A, yeah, that's 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 very much part of the ethos of the conversation that has to still happen. Of like, you have to be twice as good. You have to be never. You don't have the room to be wrong. To, um, you don't have the room to be wrong because you may or may not be representing every Black person behind you. You may or not be representing every woman that comes behind you. Uh-huh. And it's unfortunate that society still puts us in that space, but you're absolutely right. It's a really great point that there is a, I guess, hierarchy, for lack of a better word. There is a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy there, and it's, it's
10: um, sort of, a, sort of a racially instituted. You know, In other words, they see a guy leading up, but they felt that they couldn't get ahead because part of their getting ahead was actually dominating me. That was part of the deal. They just couldn't go right. through their test and you know and, and go through and do your thing and do you right They had to actually also show show that they had control over the black person too going through this as part of that. And that was part of my training and stuff like that. But it's it, it from from social system the United States and Armed Forces. But that's what they was trying to practice that too. And it's a carryover back from World War II. You know, the C was going through that on a, a larger scale than that. You know, otherwise mm-hmm. it was like, they like they was fighting between divisions and, you know or uh, the nine and a half against the well, the uh uh the 405th or something like that, you know. But um, uh, that's the deal, you know. That's that's the, that's that was the main problem within the conference you know, with the competitive scale of it. Is such that you have also overcome the racial aspects of of getting ahead, as well as the own what you have to concentrate on what doing, you don't know, to get ahead, technically, you know. So that's what I'm sure I, I felt the same thing those guys did there, and in, in, in the ski, the ski gamers there, did the and then after school, all those guys felt the same thing because it was carried over from guys that came, carried over the same ideas and stuff from that era to, you know, the later eras. And so it was just it was unconceivable. These guys are in pockets, okay? They're in pockets. They're just like the United States socialists. they just serving the military. So it's just it's, it's a mirror of it. They just got a different job. So that's what you Definitely. have to look at it within within the air, within the armed forces that way. Mm-hmm. So and you don't hear, and you don't hear a lot about it because it's behind the wall. You know, everything's on the UCMAJ, no UCMAJ. Right. <laughs> like so, a public contract. Right. Of, so you, you, you can't so so. of you just right. There's a lot of things unless you look over the fence and really inspect and look at uh, nobody's never know no, no, all this stuff that happen in the in the flash of an eye inside of the inside the gate. And, and then you'll have the rest of your life to, to to try to explain what happened, you know, to you while he was, you know, in the list of a commission you know, you
5: know, mm-hmm. on the problem. I think Ms. Robinson you had something to say. I think that's yeah, kind of uh, kind of a funny thing. My
8: um, dad was on a panel of um, of other people that were um, in the military, and Sergeant Jones was a um, Buffalo soldier. And he said at the time uh, the Tuskegee airmen were like the rock stars or the rap stars of today they got the nice fancy planes that are nice and shiny and they were, you know, um, in their uniforms and everything. He said, the army gave me a mule and a bale of hay and pretty soon that Bela Hay was gone. <laughs> That's all he had left it was an ornery mule, but the uh, Tuskegee Airmen had the plane. So that, that I thought that was kind of funny that even back then they knew that the Tuskegee Airmen were special and that they you know, had things to do. And they also, um, so many people have stood on their shoulders to, to get where they were. I'm thinking specifically of the generals, the black generals we have now, um, there's one that will tell you every time um, she speaks, she talks about the Tuskegee Airmen. That's uh, Stacy Harris. Yeah. Um, she's in California, and she was um, Deputy Secretary of the Air Force, and she's since retired. But um, a lot of them will say, "Yeah, we stood on on their shoulders." So I will say
5: that I think um, I think it's interesting that. So the way I heard about the Tuskegee Airmen was I was taught, like it was absolutely taught in school. Like Tuskegee Airmen was taught in school, Juneteenth was taught in school. So it, this is the '90s, but it was it was taught to me. But it was a footnote, if, if that's how I thought about it. Like it was by the way, first black pilots, Tuskegee Airmen. Next paragraph, <laughs> you know, it was it was a footnote. So I know that. Um, I think we all are grateful that we're seeing more. I think we're grateful that we have more information. I guess my question I'd like to pose to the panel is, what, what is your vision for how you would be, what is your vision for what the Ammon can show? I think we've all kind of spoken about how if we had known earlier or if most people had known earlier, um, it could have changed, you know, changed the lives of a lot of people, um, but we also have talked about how it wasn't necessarily spoken about, how it wasn't necessarily taught. Um, I guess if you could, what would be your vision for how to get to the airmen, not only are represented, but just like where they're actually showing up? Like, what would be your vision for that? Well, my vision would be that
4: um,
10: you know, aerospace is, is viewed as a science. You know, uh, ever since I was, I'm, I'm from Silicon Alabama. That's the lowest section of Talladega County. It's sort of like It's sort of like Mid Alabama, and uh, it's sort of a science. So anybody's interest in science is going to pursue it. And so what they got to realize, is I, I'm, I'm just hoping they realize that because of the color of the skin, of this guy sitting pursuing that science is even having any piece to you know going forward and, and fully pursuing that science. You know, aerospace. a science is like all the other sciences. You know, um, I'm sure that there's not any different than the medical field or or the legal fields or anything else. It's going to have the same type of competitive competition in them, but it's, it, was, it was just so much in, uh, emphasis placed on the, on the aerospace industry or the aerospace fields, particularly flying airplanes, and stuff like that, been around and working and stuff like that. They them, made, made them such prestigious people, or, You know, made them sort of stars, so to speak, uh, that the competition is you know, a little higher. But since it's the science. You're probably going to never stop pursuing that 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 dream of flying or uh, going out there and cranking on the uh, cranking and the engine up on something. It's, you're not going to stop that. It's just the human nature to do that. So that's what's got to be recognized. It's, it's actually human nature, not you following somebody that's up in it because they done it. You know what I mean? Otherwise, you know, you're not you're not a second to someone else in the same field pursuing the same science. They got to recognize you as you know, in 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 our case, as black pursuing this science because it's just interesting to you. It's it's sort of like space space is wide open. You I mean you really hardly anybody can start pursuing science in space. But in aerospace within our atmosphere and for flying things, you know, the Wright brothers was my first idea of a flying thing. You know, I could determine whether I could fly and not by just looking at it without any other information of the fact that okay, well they had enough money to to uh <laughs> to engineer a flying machine. But the science of the machine is fully understood just because I visually observe what that is. You know, mm-hmm. so then at my but my, I want to so say hip influences, where well that actually was uh uh instituted in me that that's how I the idea came about, the flight came about, you know, it's further, it's more, it's more flight's more that's technically true. and you know, in, scientifically involved in that. But basically looking at it, you know, that's what a lot of them think. And you look at the uh, aircraft and, Oh, that's my daddy's thing, you know. It's that kind of thing that you run into, uh, with an industry, you know. You, you just you, know, you just can't claim it, you know. It's just like going out there and getting your car and somebody else, you just, you constantly renting your life most of the time. That's what they got to get over, it. you know. As, someone, people, he people says, people as someone who
5: says, my dad, my, my dad's in the army, and like, and whenever I hear have a conversation about the military, I completely understand that conversation of right. like, oh, that's my dad's aircraft, or that's my dad's thing, like. I absolutely say that because I grew up hearing it from my dad and like right, if you so, don't have that access to military military history and knowledge. You don't get the same thing. But I totally understand that point of, of saying, yeah. oh, that's my dad's or that's like a different generation's um, access for it. So that's a really great point.
10: Yeah, so it's a science to me. If you're going to, it's a science, you're going to pursue it. I don't care who you are. If that's your interest, you're going to pursue it. No matter what color you are, you're going to pursue it. And the obstacles that you have to go through are unnecessary. In other words, a guy that's maybe running some of this, it might delay them for 10 years before they get the way they need to go. You know, you got to stop off the side of the road and say, okay, oh, what's the hell happen here? You know, I put my study aside, I'm still interested in it, but now I got to take care of this because this is going to happen now. This is some type of race thing. I gotta, now it's going to take me 10 years to figure this out, get everybody back on track again. And so you don't a whole decade trying to pursue a career that you, you know, probably would have retired in the next decade doing, you know? so. That kind of stuff there is, is uh, all the constraints, you know, the roadblocks in the way, a lot of black folks. I've seen a lot of good guys here. I mean, I graduated with guys that went a lot of different ways. I mean, these guys went <laughs> like a four-wheel drive across stuff trying to get the way they got to go, you know? And, and they, they, I mean, some of the villages they made, it, you know, no matter what it took, you know. One of my best friends, he ended he up staying in Africa because that was the best opportunity to be able to pursue his career. Because he, had, he went all over to Africa. And work you know as a pilot and safe man there because he could do it there and he compensated enough to enjoy working there in, in, in a different country because he couldn't do it here. Uh, so that kind of stuff is I, I think it's gonna like I said I think it'll phase up because a lot of things that I see now I actually witnessed in my lifetime. But I see it's, it's changing because some of the folks are covered up now much sooner than I come up with it. My, like my niece, she came up with it. I wasn't even that age. She came up with it before. <laughs> At a younger age. So it's, 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 the, it's just something that they're more consciously aware of now. And they're pursuing stuff like this, you know, like eating candy. You know, it's, 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 it's less like that. Just, I don't think there's anything that'd be in the way. But all the old stuff, I think, will phase out over the, over the coming decades. And, and, and then more of it's going to be more what we're talking about now actually be executed, you know, the good things will be executed over these years. Because it just won't be, feasible. you won't be able to retain uh, that type of uh, system on a worldwide scale. The United States can't project itself on a worldwide scale right. like everybody else. You know, you already got. I listened to what this girl in India was talking about, and she criticized the United States on human rights uh, issues alone. You know, <laughs> so <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> well, I don't know, that you know. That not that, but yeah, she I mean, she really got down on you know, and it really wasn't much you could do about it. I mean. It, it, if you witness a lot of things, if you experience these things, you have to give at least 75%, 80% of on what she was talking about. Uh, so I don't think that's in their best interest to, to carry over some of the old discriminatory practices and acts and stuff like that forward. Because as a nation, the United States, the way it's made up now, they're going to need everybody. And you know everybody's going to go and roll open grave. But all this stuff's coming up new. is all mixed up. It's all more, more integrated than what I came to. And I'm talking, I like I'm with 65, going 66. So you know it's 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 got it's gotta change because the makeup has changed. So I, I think that's what's gonna change the makeup of the US is actually gonna change all this stuff.
5: I think there's like thank you for thank you for the answers. There's definitely a lot of great points in there. I think that I would argue that the Tuskegee airmen are something that we know about, and so there's a access to information. I would argue that we still probably don't have as much access to like physically flying or physically getting, becoming a pilot. Like it's actually still pretty expensive to become a pilot. Um, and yes. if you don't have access, access to a small airfield where you can train, you have access to like, you can, you can, you know, learn about it. Just like the way you can learn about, you can play a video game and simulate flying, that ain't the same thing. you That's know. Thing. Um, so like my vision personally would be that, you know, what the Tuskegee Airmen represented was. Freedom, right? is a freedom of flight. You got to fly. You got to be a part of something. Um, so I feel like I would love for there to be more access and opportunity for um, everyone, for that matter, but in particularly um, um, young people to actually learn how to fly. I feel like that access is missing because I feel like on one hand the education side is there, but I feel like the access is, are, is, is still a little bit um, cost prohib- prohibitive if you don't have access to a airfield, if you don't have access to like pilots. So that's one thing that I like my personal vision would be that because the Airmen could absolutely um, represent us to like, what, what's next? What's the next um, thing for that? But that's my personal, personal thoughts. Mr. Harvey, I feel like you just had a great flyer up there that I missed,
1: missed wrong wrong We're talking about flying free, it's, and and it's uh, good that that um, we do have the choice. Uh, you know, we do have a chance now to make a um, a choice of what we want to do or pursue a particular. You know, like these guys, they wanted to fly. Well, now we can uh, pursue that. Absolutely. Absolutely.
5: Um, well we are over time right now, but I'd like to um, give anyone a moment if they'd like to um say anything that um was not covered by my questions. I think mean, this is an excellent conversation. Um I believe uh Gary wants to um, narrate a tour of the Bright Flyer project um after this. So I'd like to first um give the panelists a, a moment to say anything that they'd like to um like they'd like to um, um contribute to the conversation that wasn't covered in the in the
4: in the questions. Well, I'll, I'll just like say to... oh go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Okay. okay. All right. Well um, first of all thank you again for uh, you know allowing me to participate again in this panel. I think it's it's always great again when we can share knowledge. it's one of the paramounts and fundamental things to uh, help us as a people grow. But um one thing I, I, we, I don't think we really covered, we talked about a lot of the past, but we really need to also now talk about how do we take and leverage off the things from the past and move forward? How do we share this knowledge with the people and, and move forward, meaning the young, younger generation, my grandchildren that are growing up, I have three right now, so how do we get that information in? How do we encourage them? How do we inspire them? How do we still deal with the challenges um, that we have, I know Mr. Mr. Cook was just talking about, yes, now through integration things have, are changing and we may, we may see things phase out, but uh, you know, and, and, and with maybe that may be another topic or something, but that could be the next uh, panel discussion, but we should look at what do we do from here? What do we go from here and how do we improve? How do we take the things of the past, move forward, build on that? Uh, and I think that is uh, very important to think about and to move forward with. So that we don't repeat the past so we don't have to go through some of the same challenges that we've gone through uh, and then we can move forward and and still build on the history um, um, that you know our forefathers and things have suffered and and struggled through because as you know maybe 1865 was when the Emancipation Proclamation was written and we were freed Uh, but you got to think it wasn't really until after 1965 you know, when the Jim Crow laws were pretty much gone the civil rights was gone. So we're only looking at really 56 years of really true progress. I mean, we've had a lot of things going on. I'm not discrediting anything that happened in the past, but we've only had really 56 years. So Mr. Cook nailed nailed it down when he said, hey, you know, things are the people that their mentality, the way they were teaching people now would go away as we see the younger generation growing up and as a more integrated, but we still need to prepare our children and children's children for how do we move on, how do we encourage them to be pilots, how do we encourage them to be engineers, because there's not a lot of us out there that are engineers and, are, and that are pilots that are going into the sciences, the fields like that. We're, we're still lacking in those areas. I think it's maybe about 10 percent out of the 14 percent of uh, uh, Americans uh, that are African-Americans, only about 10 percent that are engineers still out here today. And, and I'm not saying just engineers is the only thing, but we do need to encourage our kids to focus on other things in the future. Um, and, and we still have a lot to go. So having said that, I know it may, I don't wanna go down that rabbit hole and start a new conversation up, but that's something I think um, we didn't discuss much here. We talked more of the past, but we, we should also still consider and think about where we're gonna go in our future from here, so. thank you again for having me on the panel appreciate it
11: and and thank you dr taylor for recognizing me even though i'm not in aerospace (laughs) but uh it is so important as mr wallace was saying and uh, mr jacobs and everyone we really need to reach back and pull our students forward with us and our our kids grandkids even non-relatives neighbors or whatever just to let them know i i'd like to see the tuskegee airmen just be um, a symbol of what was done, can be done, will be done. And and for us to remember it as, okay, they did it. That means you can do it. It just means a little hard work and perseverance on your part. And I love the idea of the coin, which as soon as they're out, I want to get some. And I, as a matter of fact, I think this year, um, I'll have some of the teachers pass those out to the students in engineering as they go through and say maybe they want to do aerospace, just so they understand that, you know, there's 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 still kind of this dividing line, and let's do something about breaking that ceiling. We still have to do that with only about I think there's actually about 8.5 African percent of African Americans in in engineering, close to 10, but we have to do something about that. The opportunity is out there. We just have to, and I think with the backing of, like you said, Dr. Taylor. You don't know of a of, a, of a of an African-American person in aerospace who would not help another one out. I think as long as the kids understand that and they learn how to advocate for themselves, that's a big thing is, you know, I need help. <laughs> I wanna do this. How did you do it? And I wanna do it. Those are the things that we need to teach our young people to continue to ask. So thank you.
1: Very well said, Dr. Shannon, very well. And I, what I was gonna say, I. Want, I really appreciate Karen coming on board because she represents the second generation. Her father was a Tuskegee Airman. And and like Mike mentioned, we have to carry this on to the next generation and the next generation. And that's why uh, I think it's important for not only for our sons and daughters, our grandchildren, but for all young people. So I, I I think that all the comments said here are very well said, very well taken, and I <clears throat> really appreciate the the feeling that's uh, among this panel.
5: Um, I'd like to say thank you to the panel. I definitely truly appreciate your insights as well as appreciate um, um, not just the insights but the historical significance of. Just understanding that we have different generations here, we have different uh, walks of life here, and yet we all understand the importance of the Tuskegee Airmen, and we all understand, um, and we're all able to come together today to impart some of that knowledge. So I want to say thank you so much to the entire panel. Truly, truly appreciate you. Um, I, uh, Mr. Harvey, I really appreciate your presentation. Like, I think it was perfect framing for having this conversation. So thank you very, very much for that. I think that the most important thing that stuck out to me is when you said from was it, Alexander, uh, um, Alexander Jefferson, when you said, uh, why, do you fight, yeah. why do you fight for, the, for a country that hates you? Because it's my country. And I thought that is the most, it's so simple and so powerful and mm-hmm. it's what everyone is facing at the same time. Um, but it's, you know, it's simple. It really is still like part of like who we are. And whether you find opportunities in the military, whether you find opportunities abroad, whether you find opportunities anywhere, it's still, you know, good or bad, it's still our country. So I think that that was definitely um, something really powerful to me to step out in the presentation. So um, thank you so much for, thank you so much for, um, for the presentation. Thank you very much to all the panelists. Uh, thank you to the panelists who stepped up and didn't realize you were a like, <laughs> thank, you. thank you for joining us today. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you never know, you never know what might happen. So um, with yeah. that, I with thank that, I can. give it over. Yeah, I want to thank everybody on this panel for this
10: assembly in the AIAA and and, uh, yes. section. But it's, it's an important topic. So the things we're talking about now as far as the future goes, I think it has to be replicated among who you're, you know, the ones that you care about. Um, and so that's the important thing there. What we talked about today, also needs to be spread among everybody, all the, the young. It needs to be flowed down. And we talked about today, it needs to be flowed down. That's one way of getting the message there, but also putting behind it the history. If you, know, if you want to talk about the history, you have to talk about, talk about that so they can hear it, so they're given more ammunition to our, uh, or I should say not more ammunition, but more uh, uh, of a uh, blocks to put up in the, in the, you know, the that the bad people that's shooting at them, it could put some uh um uh, overcome constraints. Have to overcome constraints when you're more knowledgeable and educated about things that happened in the past. You know, that way you're upright, and, you know what might happen. If you're able to perform something, you're able to do something that in case there's a, a risk of you uh, in, in, in in case you run into roadblocks like I did or like some Steve Aaron did, I'm pretty sure they came in and they to right raw, they went right up, they were so flying right on the seat of the pants, so to speak. And so, in order to prevent that and not have the younger people come up expecting all goody goods, you know, and, and, and all that stuff, sort of educate them on, on what did happen and, 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 you know, and how to, how they can do to uh, uh, prevent it from happening for them or at least to recognize situations in such cases and, and, and what they should do in order to become victims of, of, of you know, bash racial. Discrimination and all kinds of things like that. So I think that's the main key right there. Of course, education in the sciences is, is important too, but it, you know, it's so spread that I can't really speak about which way you go in, it in the industries. There's a lot of different areas you can go in the aerospace industry, but uh, history of it is the main thing, history of it. If I'd known about the aeros- uh, Tuskegee Airmen coming out of high school, out of ROTC, you know, that gave me more than this up on what was going on because I would not understand why these guys are competing against me, you know, and
7: it ain't got to do with your
10: curriculum. <laughs> you know, so that was that's important. So I think what we talk about now today, you just pass down and it'll just spread, it just tear down to where it needs to go. And it'll be known knowledge then, you know, because you have to worry about decades later learning about the ski and stuff like that. that it's been passed down to them and it, you know, and put it in the curriculum in school too. Actually, that,
5: your comment reminds me of something else. I think that one thing I um, want to say uh, thank you to AIAA for hosting us and um, thank you, Mike, actually, for your comment, for you know bringing up the conversation about um, encouraging people to be in STEM. And I know it sounds like a lot of people have children and grandchildren that are interested in engineering or space. Um, for anyone else that's hearing this as well, um, I want us to also just take a moment to say that You don't have to be in STEM per se to contribute to this same conversation. Like I mean that in the sense of yes, we need more people in STEM, but we need people that are just as much social activists that are changing the story of the story and the fabric of America just as much. Because that second war that the Tuskegee Airmen fought, we are still fighting. So yes, join, join STEM if that is your passion. But we just as much need lawyers, we just as much need social activists, we just as much need politicians. We need every walk of life to be a part of this conversation to stop the systematic um, obstacles that Tuskegee Airmen face, that probably most people on this panel face um, every single day. So if you are not a STEM person, because obviously a lot of us work in STEM, so a lot of you are like, yes, STEM, you know take the classes, come, uh, you know, work at GPO, work at Raytheon, work at um, all these places. Like, if that's not your calling, that's okay, too, because you can just be as much a part of this conversation as well, because we need you. So I just wanted to take a moment to um, say that to anyone that is, you know, STEM adjacent, quite frankly. Like we need people that market. We need the people that market and tell us about the city airmen. We need the people that market and make sure that we see those jobs and opportunities. We need the people that do marketing to make make science interesting. So um, if you are STEM adjacent, we need you just as much. And I just wanted to take a moment to um, recognize you as well. Um, but with that said, I believe that we are, I believe that I need to turn this back over to the AAAA, um event chair. but I believe that there is a few um, pictures that are coming as well as another, another conversation from Mr. Gary Moore and this, Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So yeah, Thank you everyone.
9: Hello. I hope that we're, that we're back live again. Oh, I gotta wake up my, uh, my image so I can see what I'm talking about.
0: Okay, looks like Gary Gary's uh, offline. We'll wait for him. So let's show show the uh, photo from from Shelby. So Shelby, can you comment on those uh, photos you provided? Um, nope, looks like it. No. Oh. Some... Okay, can you, you hear me now? Yes. yes, Shelby, go ahead first. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, these are these are photos of Alfonso oh. Harris, who invited me to the uh, inaugural of the uh, airport named after Bob, I uh, forget his last name now, but he was the one that uh, invited me personally. He was a neighbor, personal friend. They're all deceased now, but I was happy to be able to tap into the Tuskegee Airmen in my retirement, as well as on one occasion, I some others, but this gentleman was directly responsible for, uh, in part, the naming and recognition of Tuskegee by the city of Oceanside. And if you saw the presentation by the, our congressman, they are very proud to maintain that airport in the name of Tuskegee Airmen. Again, this, hey. this photo, these photos are when he got the award, the, the national award that they got a few years ago. He came by my house and shared it with me gave me a private showing of his award.
7: Okay. Let me know when
9: you're cleared with this. Okay. How many more pictures will you have? I think a couple
2: more. This is this is in my yard. This is Great. showing the detail of the award. And I think the next one would be myself with him uh just enjoying the fact that he came to show me that's a friend uh, the Tuskegee and another friend and the next slide should be myself photographed with him sharing with us the award that he had received uh national award and so I was glad to be able to tap in directly into that and make that a, a part of my own experience over the years with uh uh heretofore not known well by a lot of people, and it encouraged me to accept the diversity and acceptance in our city, our region here, by the way they've reacted to the Tuskegee Airmen as well as myself.
9: Okay, so um, I'm not sure what's going on with with this camera right now. Uh, Okay. I'm unmuted at the moment, but I don't know how long it'll... Okay.
0: Yeah, let's wait for Gary uh, for his uh, coming back. Okay, he's back. Gary, go ahead.
10: His mic is muted.
9: I presume you're looking at me. Yes. Okay. I, I've got a, a touch to, to, uh, speak program on right now. I don't know why. Uh, so you're looking at me and I'm going to go ahead and start the tour around the, the, uh, the, the bright flyer hangar in play Bob airport, uh, near Riverside. And, um, this is the entrance that I'm going over to right now. And you can see the Pegasus at the entrance and the DC 3 or C 47 that's uh, out in the, in the entrance way. Coming back into the hangar, you see the, the rear view of the right flyer. And this project, of course, has been in progress for a few years. Uh, The sort of a measure of how many years it has been involved is this array of airplanes, which is uh, on the the wall, the display wall. There are almost 2000 plastic airplanes in there, uh, all built by one man, one of our members. And over here by the entrance is a full, is a, uh, I think it's a, a one-sixth scale approximately, image, a uh, model of the uh, Spirit of St. Louis, which was constructed by somebody else <laughs> and supported by the, uh, by our former chairman, uh, Fred Kulik, professor at, the Caltech. That model in the background right now is the right flyer that we built to uh, radio control model to do a preliminary study on it. The, um, the project has actually, if you count that one, has our project since I've been involved has built three right flyers. That one is the uh, radio control model. Uh, this the second one was a uh, full-scale exact replica with the exception of some strengthening for the uh, for wind tunnel loads and um, and replacement of the engine with a uh, electric motor in order to be in the NASA Ames wind tunnel in 1999 and here we see the the basic wing box of the flyer. This is not a replica. This is a standoff scale look-alike with a great number of changes to make it a more controllable and flyable airplane. The Wright brothers, of course, were bicycle mechanics. In fact, they were bicycle racers. And so their point of view about flying was that you needed to control the airplane. And that was the theory that they initiated with the, uh, with the kite experiments in 1899 through the final flying model in 1903. In 1902, they worked out the three axis of control required for an aircraft. Nobody else had done that before, that was the subject of their patent, which was issued in uh, 1905, no 1907, I'm sorry, and uh, so they began selling and demonstrating their flyer in 1908. Uh, They were ahead of the world in all aspects of controllable powered flight, in fact, they actually constructed their own engine. In a moment, I will show you the, the block, the aluminum block of that engine. But right now, you'll see the uh, modern Revmaster 2100cc Volkswagen conversion engine that we are using. And this is a, uh, a modern engine with uh, dual ignition and a uh, Functional carburetor, good good flight controls, uh, and uh, rather complicated powertrain because we put a uh, an eight to three reduction gear behind it in addition to the uh, the chain drive. Uh, this engine, of course, in modern terms, turns turns faster than the original flyer, and. Uh, so we had to slow down the turns. And uh, also, let me say that the canard out here is both extended forward and also uh, has a larger cross-section. This is actually a uh, an NACA 2512 20, airfoil. Uh, which replaced the flat plate that flexed on the original flyer. Uh, it is similar in that there are two canards out there, but these are larger than the original, scaled up 10%, both in uh, span and in cord. And also the rudder is also extended aft and scaled up, a- the same factors. The control theory that they developed used actually a hip cradle. And the pilot would shift their weight to the high side of the airplane in order to uh, Hmm. Okay, the video is stopped. What's going on here? You're still there. Yeah, for us, it's okay. The video's still there. Okay, great. Have
1: they flown this yet? Have
9: they flown this model
10: yet, or are you guys still in construction?
9: Well, we actually have taxied it uh, at low speeds, and uh, we developed a number of issues that we needed to work on at that time. Uh, The first issue was that the Wright brothers used tax to secure the leading edge of the, uh, of the, of the wing covering, and those tacks dropped out on the airport. Uh, people did not like that, so we had to replace all those tacks. That took a while. Then um, we have additional issues. We decided that since we were planning on now flying at an airport rather than on the uh, uh, Edwards Air Force Base, Salt Flat or Lake Flats that we needed to have three axes of control independently. And that's the part I was just about to mention. So the the Wright brothers laid on the wing. We put a a pilot's couch on there and moved the pilot forward about 18 inches to improve the center of gravity and the controllability, actually the stability. Uh, So the pilot would shift their weight to the high side of the airplane since they were trying to fly it straight and level, and that would uh, pull a set of wires here on the lower side of the wing. Those wires were connected to the upper wing aft, the the aft the spars of the wing, and that would cause the um, the wings to distort so that when the pilot raised the one wing, the other wing would reduce its angle of incidence. And this essentially is the function of an aileron in modern airplanes. Uh, Unfortunately, when they did that with their 1902 flyer, their, their 1902 glider, they found that the resulting thing was the wing that that was lifted up was supposed to be rising and turning towards. In fact, that wing produced more drag and they actually turned the opposite direction in a phenomenon they called well digging, but is now known as adverse yaw. So what they and all modern aircraft do is when when they raise that wing, they turn the the rudder to balance that drag out and to yaw the airplane in the right direction. So they, indeed the ailerons and the wing warping do cause the aircraft to roll, but the secondary effect of increased drag on the high side ends up causing them to turn the wrong direction until you add the control of of the rudder. And of course, any modern pilot will use what's called a, a balanced turn, coordinated turn, to uh, uh, to negate that effect. And over behind me right now is a desk, which uh, an executive that I think it was North American Aircraft Company. Used when he was promoted to the executive office. If you lift up the, the the drafting table here, it has a world map on the backside. So he was concealing his drafting table with the uh, uh, with that world map. Now going back outside and in front of the airport again, and in front of the hangar again. I'm going to go over to the uh, the patio area, which is part of the Flyers, uh, uh, part of the Flaybob Airport, and here you'll meet a pair, a statue of the Wright Brothers, and a diorama of the original uh, photograph of the Wright of the first flight, actually. Not the first, yeah, it was the first flight. And uh, up above it is the uh, model of the right flyer that was used in the 1903 Century of Flight Year Rose Parade. This flyer actually led the Rose Parade. And in the patio here, we can walk around. And over in the distance over here is what is known as Mount Ribaday. And when you're flying into Flabob Airport, the practice is to the standard pattern is to go to Riverside Airport about three miles away. And then bear left, fly towards, the, the, uh, towards the, uh, the cross at the top of that mountain when you start a, start your approach, you aim just about a hundred feet below the cross, and as you pass the the uh, San Gabriel River, you make your turn to final and line up on the on the uh, on the airport on, on the runway. So it's kind of an interesting approach. Anyway, down here at the bottom of this entrance here, we have. A casting uh, that is based off of the original uh, drawings, reverse-engineered drawings from the Smithsonian. This casting represents the uh, the the crankcase of the of their engine. When they went to uh, develop the develop the flyer, they put out a request for a a contract to all the automakers to build a eight horsepower engine that was less than two hundred pounds. Nobody could do that. In uh, Dayton, they're only about two hundred miles away from Pittsburgh, where uh, Hall had developed the um, the aluminum smelting process and was. Making castings, he got that pattern that patent in eighteen ninety three. So ten years after the patent on the development of aluminum and the production of aluminum, the Wright brothers used the first aluminum crankcase. That saved about hundred pounds on the weight of the airplane, and they actually succeeded in producing sixteen horsepower at Dayton. At Dayton in their shop in the summer of uh, 1903. So, our hangar is a plethora of full-scale models, or some well, of larger-scale models, flyable models, hanging from the ceiling, uh, and almost 2,000 plastic models surrounding the along this uh, this display wall and right here is a one uh, a scale stainless steel model used by uh, northrop in uh, testing in you know about eight, in 1957 and uh, it's doing an impossible maneuver for the right flyer uh, that's because we were working on some of the uh, uh, some of the electrical area above there, electrical facilities above there, and that basically is a tour of the hangar. Uh, here is a another member of our team, uh, Don Crawford. Uh, he was instrumental in in design of the propellers to increase the thrust and uh, enable operation at the uh, at the field elevation at Edwards Air Force Base. And in that time, it was called Dryden, NASA Dryden. Now it would be uh, NASA Armstrong. So, do you have a word? <laughs> <laughs> a modest guy indeed. <laughs> the propeller was fun to work on. <laughs> okay, so I think that pretty much gives us a tour. If there are any questions, I'd be happy to answer. Um, <laughs> We do need uh, additional staff out here, additional volunteers, to both uh, act as docents to the display area, and also to help in uh, completing the airworthiness uh, certificate, the airworthiness work. Right now, we're we're uh, setting up to replace the uh, s- screws in the uh, in the rigging. And then we'll square up the rigging again. And uh, well, there's we're working on the engine also. We uh, we modified the uh, the, uh, the the wiring system and uh, verified that everything works properly. So we're getting there, but uh, it's a substantial task. In the parlance of uh, of amateur-built aircraft. We're about 95% done with about 90% to go. So um, I'm going to wrap that up now. And uh, if there's any questions, happy to hear them.
0: Thank you, Gary. Uh, thank you. It's a hot day, and you are there to show this exciting tour for us. So if any question, please uh, you know speak out or raise hand. Uh, before that, I think, Gary, could you say again about your experience with the Tuskegee Airmen? I think you mentioned a little bit earlier. Can you uh, a little bit more?
9: Yeah, certainly. As a matter of fact, I've got a couple of instances of work with the Tuskegee Airmen, of, of dealing with the Tuskegee Airmen. In, the, in about 2001, our team was uh, located at the uh, warehouse in... Uh, Northrop Warehouse at the south side, southwest side of Hawthorne Airport, and we would go over to the southeast side to Nate's uh, Cafe uh, after after working on the plane each Saturday. And about two to three times, one to one to three times, one to two, one or two times a week, one or two times a month, uh, there would be about eight gentlemen. Uh, from the Tuskegee squadron in the area, who would come and and, uh, and eat. We would offer the, the corner table to them, and we would split into a couple of different booths at that time. So I talked with a number of them at that time, and I'm sorry I don't know the names at this date. Secondly, uh, when I started working with the Tomorrow's Aeronautical Museum in Compton, their theme is also the uh, the Tuskegee Airmen. All their aircraft have red tails, and uh, there is a uh, aircraft and power plant mechanic, uh, Fernando Anaya, uh, from from American American Airlines, uh, and he is providing a um, a practical A training program. As we uh, maintain the the aircraft that are associated with the Compton Airport programs, so um, the Tomorrow's Aeronautical Museum offers students an opportunity to do homework at their facility or to uh, use their computer facilities. Uh, there's a there are a lot of flight training and FAA courses on those machines, and there's more than a few people using them for gaming. But the overall function is a very excellent STEM program, and uh, the, the Fernando's program is basically separated from that at this time, but it's still, is still friendly and associated. Uh, thirdly, I'll mention that when I was in Civil Air Patrol in Vancouver, Washington near Portland, uh, I became cadet commander and one of our, uh, one of our members there, Larry English, uh, who came in as a, uh, a young, very thin kid um, with, a, with not a lot of self-confidence. In the course of about two years, he went through the program and exited and uh, achieved what was called a Certificate of Proficiency. So when he graduated from high school, he went to the, uh, he, he volunteered for the Air Force. And uh, when he went to the Lackland Air Force Base basic training, he went in as an Airman third. So the uh, Civil Air Patrol training had provided him a, a, jump, a, a leapfrog state into the, into the Air Force. Um, I went through that similar program, and uh, in fact, I placed second in Oregon uh, on on a special tour, and the result was I went to the Vandenberg Air Force Base for a week of missile orientation, one of the most spectacular events in my early career. It also probably gave a long step up in a lot of other positions that I eventually arrived at. So that's uh, a rather lengthy comment about my involvement with the with Tuskegee. And uh, I'll mute myself and let you guys ask questions or whatever.
0: Thank you, Gary. This is very inspiring. You know, it's the same dream, the Tuskegee Airmen. Right? And you love aviation as well. Your passion for the... Uh, Right flyer and uh, aviation is uh, really um, admirable and uh, very inspiring. Uh, certainly will help the communities. Uh, so, uh, any question, comment? Victor, do you have any question, comments? Oh
10: no, I don't have any questions. You guys get at this this. Uh, have to wrap it up. I'm about two hours ahead of you guys, so I'm, I'm running kind of late. <laughs> uh, and, uh, <laughs> but thanks, uh, uh, thanks everybody for you know this participation in this. Uh, Talk about the speaking and uh juneteenth and uh i'll try to you know get on uh next time for more uh involvement and we uh just coming off this COVID 19 thing here so we sort of 50 50 now you know in work behind the computer so we just making adjustments here but yeah it was a great it was a great session i, I appreciate it ken
0: Yeah, Victor is right. It's a a very auspicious day today, Juneteenth, and uh, we celebrate the holiday. And also we talk about this uh, very inspiring, legendary Tuskegee Tuskegee Airman. And Gary showed this fantastic Rye Flyer project, and that's the heart, you know, of aviation. It's the origin of everything. Uh, It's a love for for, uh, aviation, engineering, science, as Victor said. Uh, So it's uh, really, really the heart of aerospace. Uh, so, uh, anyway, if no further question and, uh, uh we'll post the video. So including Gary's field tour, uh, uh, on, uh, online. So more people will be able to watch it. And uh, about, uh, Juneteenth, Tuskegee Edmund, or the Bright Fire project, we'll forward to the, uh, uh speaker, uh, the panelists and, uh, uh Mr. Moyer you know, for, for, for the question. So yeah, it's a hot day there. So Gary, so, you know, uh, take you should take some shade. So uh, that's, I think that's uh, we're going to wrap up for the events.
9: Okay, well, thank you. Thank you everybody for being here. It, it was a very fascinating program.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank you, Gary. You added, uh, it's a uh, fantastic wow. uh, field, uh, amazing. Yeah, thank you, Randall. It's our great pleasure. Yeah, thank you everyone. So thank you for, very much for attending today's uh, event. So it's very exciting. Uh, so look forward to uh, seeing you next time. Uh, please join us and uh, enjoy a great Saturday and have a great weekend and uh, uh, happy Juneteenth. Thank
4: you, thank you everyone.